Hello and welcome to another episode of Ranking Thrones. I am James Kelly. Joining me again to continue our series on the eras of of Westeros is is my friend Jim McKeon. Hi, Jim. Uh, hey, it's great to be back. And now we get to do a uh, an age that's a, a little bit more. Uh, well, how do you, how did Augustus say it? Uh, I came to Rome, a city of bricks, and I left it a city of marble. And yep. then we watch yep. as, as the marble melts. As yeah, the, yeah. I love Augustus, but yeah, Augustus totally deserved that. And Jaehaerys was definitely the the Augustus of Westeros. Of just like such a amazing, indelible impact that really turned Westeros into this Seven Kingdom union. Mm-hmm. Like before, like even with Aegon through Magor, it's this kind of loose connection, this kind of loose confederacy of kingdoms. And then when you get into Jaehaerys, you get this wonderful United Kingdom. But now we're going to get a little bit interesting because we were pretty macro when when talking about the last episode. And this is going to get pretty micro because we're going to talk about such a consequential short amount of time. And just like uh, one fan, like both, like funnily, I think, complained in like a, and the Aswaf read Reddit subthread that uh, Jim, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, it's just like, is that like you got whole like a hundred pages covers like about a decade of Jaharis's rule, and then you get a hundred pages just talking about one year in the Dance with the Dragons, because it's like. But that's the truth, is that sometimes, like, really consequential and chaotic periods, that's when you just detail everything that's happening, versus, like, periods of calm, you just say, well, it was a good time. Kind of like, yeah. And that's especially true when you're talking about uh, history that's a little bit further back than, say, this modern history with where we can just record everything on computers. In medieval history, a lot of times, these consequential events were the ones that had a lot of things written about them, whether they be, you know, famines or military campaigns, and then these other campaigns we know nothing about. I mean, and just yeah. there may have been some records at the time, but they perished and weren't really seen as worth saving. Just, yeah. I mean, textile products. It's why we know so much about you see textile products. Yeah. Oh, is it about te- you know, so textile about products? Are, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. but. Yeah, no, it's like textile products, like for the ancient era, we don't actually have any surviving relics. What yeah. we know about them are from stone pictures of them, yeah. which is very, very interesting in terms of, uh, you know, historical detective work. Yeah. Well, I mean, the social historians, like that's always the struggle for them is that in the ancient world, I mean, the Romans luckily like kept pretty good archives. So we do, can get a decent idea of what like the average peasant's life was like. But come like uh, the medieval era, that's when it's just we only write about the kings and the lords. We never write about the people, pretty much. Yeah, unless, unless it's uh, you know a famine or a fire or something like that. Yeah, unless the, like the peasants get uppity and get into revolt, then we finally write about them. Yeah, well, we have to we have to let know for future generations what uppity what happens to uppity peasants when we put them down. Yeah. <laughs> Read the peasants' revolt to understand like this kind of like their attitude towards it. Yeah. Um. So, and the, actually, this might be a perfect segue to talk a little bit when we at, when we get into the dance with the dragons, is that we we have 
And this is where Martin is having fun. Um, this might have actually been, I'm not entirely positive, um, but this and and Aegon's Conquest were some of the first things he wrote for what eventually would become Fire and Blood. Of that, he got really creative in saying that there were three sources for the Dance with the Dragons era. Like when you get Magor, Jaehaerys, and Aenys era, there's pretty much universal consensus. There's no real talk about sources for the most part. But when you get into Dance of the Dragons, there's three sources. There's the, there's um, Grandmaster Munkin, who's credited as a pro Rhaenyra account, but really, honestly, he's the most removed, and he's kind of the most we can get to being neutral. And he's really a secondary account, because we do know his source, and that's the incredibly unreliable Maester Orwile, who was there in the events, and of course is trying to rewrite history to be at his like look good and look much better than he was in in that in that sorry affair um we get of course i'm forgetting the the exact name of the what's the name of uh the pro aegon account it's um uh, septon eustace yeah septon eustace's account which is uh yeah septon eustace it, it and when we talk about Aegon, it's going to be like pro Aegon is I, I use the term loosely because no account for Aegon the Usurper is positive, really. Well, there are positive aspects like Septon Eustace yeah. says it's like, uh, you know, uh, Allison Hightower told him that he had to seize the throne. He refused three times because he says, you know, yeah, um, br yes. brother does not wage war against sister and stuff like that. Yes. Well, so there like, are there are elements of yes of positivity. Well, well, what I mean by that though is at the same time when we get into it, like in the Orwell account is the only account where he's basically one even like remotely reluctant about this. But even in that account, it's that in that account, Aegon, which I do believe, Aegon is a puppet basically in the green faction so even like in the versions where they try to spin him as a decent person it's still like but he isn't the one in charge so it's well, I mean, like that, that's still actually common. The phrase. That, that's actually common in some medieval historiography oh, yeah. where they always try to yeah. attribute things to evil counselors in order to kind of remove because the, the king is divinely appointed yes. so to start you know, you have to be very careful when criticizing the king or anything like that, because that could be seen as a, as a serious sin, you know, risking your immortal soul type th type stuff. But the counselors never have that same thing. Same with regents and other th other uh, counselors like that. You, they, they tend to be very, very convenient scapegoats for historiography. And then, of course, we the have history of Henry VIII. That's yeah. the easiest yeah. cheat that they had. Yeah, and then you have, of course, the best source is Mushroom. Yes, the best source, the most fun source. And unlike that, it is definitely the, the clearly pro-Rhaenyra account, but even that, that's interesting because he does not let Rhaenyra go even when he's 100% in his heart fully black. He's just like... But he, he comes up with the most outrageous accusations against Rhaenyra. So that's interesting. So that, and that... To secret histories, which is a basically think of it as a very salacious faux history piece against Justinian, and all of the the luminaries in Justinian's court are um, 
are painted as monstrous. I mean, the, uh, Empress Theodora is, you know, sleeps with everybody. Uh, <laughs> Justinian can take off his head and, you know, walk around the, the halls like a like a headless horseman. And the only person is he's even remotely nice to is Belisarius, who is his patron. And even then, Belisarius is kind of treated as like, a, you know, weak-willed, always in the thrall of his wife and stuff like that, <laughs> like all, all sorts of stuff. Like, no, it's, it's, again, it's, that's the Procopius secret history, which is, I mean, sometimes, although, you know, it, it feels a little odd, especially given things like in Fire and Blood, like, uh, what was it called? A cautionary tale for young girls. Yes, yes. Where it's like, you you have all of this secret history stuff, but, you know, there, there were other histories too, and they were actually more worthwhile. Maybe spend a little bit more time I'm on that and a little less time on this because, I mean, after I read that chapter in Fire and Blood, I needed to take a shower. <laughs> well, I believe Mushroom. And like the other thing, like the other historian that like that Martin has flat out identified for Mushroom is Suetonius and is oh yeah very wonderful to read. And I still do mean sincerely it like um is um, he wrote the other definitive account on the, the Julio-Claudian dynasty, which is the 12 Caesars. Um, some people decry Suetonius as the national inquirer of his day, and that he comes out with these really crazy, very fun to read, but crazy stories about some of the emperors. Just like that. I, I won't repeat anything that that he accuses Tiberius of. It's You don't want to read with caution. But at the same time, Suetonius still can be translated, reads really, really well compared to Tacitus is very hard, I find, along with Cassius Dio. They're kind of a bit dry stilted. and dry. Oh, and dry. Dry as a chicken. Um, so so but like the big thing like Mushroom says to kind of explain how salacious his, his account is like, well, because they thought I was an idiot, they like behaved like their true selves in front of me, which they shouldn't have. But they did. And so I bore witness to all of this. So I think I think a lot of what's what Mushroom says is probably true, but of course it also is exaggerated. To yeah, highly think. embellished, but yeah. I mean, it's I mean, that, you know, the role of a court jester was to uh, be free from these sort of social consequences, and I yeah. mean, almost in a bit of a little bit ruder memento mori type thing. Yeah. To kind of deflate the uh, the egos of the worst. <laughs> so, I've written an essay, but I haven't published it yet. But when we talk about the the Dance of the Dragons, and is really this case of the issue of succession, and what and really the formation of this idea of primogeniture, of that no matter what, the male claimant is superior to the female claimant, even when it's a male male bloodline from the female like a male claimant from that derives his claim from female blood yeah this this male this male preference primogeniture um yeah. and even i mean that's even going so far as to the salic law yes it's male only strict agnotic primogeniture for yeah. my ck2 You're bringing say up ever since ck2 came around I said, whenever CK2 came around, now a lot of people understand more about what uh, primogeniture is and how yeah. terrible Gavelkind is. <laughs> so I, I, I say that when you can trace basically the, the, the stepping stones and 
the foreshadowing, in essence, of the Dance of the Dragons all the way back to the era of Aegon the Conqueror. Because with, like, there was no issue at all with who was going to be Aegon's heir. It was going to be Aenys, his firstborn son. But Aenys' firstborn child was not Aegon the Uncrowned. It was Princess Rhaena. Mm-hmm. And Rhaena was a dragon rider. She was very smart and very capable. And Aenys kind of sidestepped the issue, even though Rhaena did openly grumble about this. And like I said, like, you're going to be Aegon's consort. You're going to be queen. So don't worry. You're going to be like in charge. You're going to have power. And Reyna kind of bore the insult in silence, even though, like, as we talked about in the last episode, she was really clearly a worthy candidate for to be ruler of Westeros. Yeah. Certainly much more the, than um, But, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, so I think the issue also stems from when the, when the Targaryens came over, they definitely were integrating into Westerosi society who did practice this, uh, this male preference primogeniture. And I think part, I mean, cause I mean, certainly in Valyria, I mean, we see it all over the place. Um, it was pretty much gender neutral as long as yeah. you were a dragon Lord, uh, yeah. which I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. The dragons were the clear element of power. And as we see both in the novel and in the, the, the background text, Males and females can ride dragons. I mean, there seems to be no difference as to what, who can ride a dragon yeah. uh, in terms of gender. So, But they had to go and I mean, even uh, Queen Rhaenys had to issue that, that rule of six from the Iron Throne. So you could already yeah. see the diminishment of uh, the power of Targaryen women, even yeah. in the, the Conqueror's age. But then you see what you really see with the Dance of the Dragons is this argument of two succession philosophies and which one wins because you have both the great council of 101 which placed balon the brave as the new heir mm-hmm. and then you also have the idea that the the king formally invests and names the uh, the position of heir yeah and so when these two things are in conflict what happens and there's certainly a lot there's a lot of very real and very interesting legal discussion as to where you need to fall down on that a different thing. Certainly there's a lot of political wrangling for best interest and all that, but it's actually a a legitimate question. When two laws are in conflict, which one do you follow? Yes. I mean, we have a a Supreme court, we have a Supreme court that, that decides things like that. Yes. That's why we have those kinds of things existing. So I want to kind of backtrack just you're getting a little right. bit ahead for me, Jim, just because I want to kind of detail the story of like of that there was oh. basically three female claimants until until the Great Council of 101 and kind of what led to this situation happening in the first place. And so when Magor the Cruel gets overthrown, there was a tiny bit of whispers just for five seconds, basically, because... Magor did declare that his um, that Reyna's daughter um, Arya was his heir temporarily until he had a male claimant, male heir. And so there was like some whispers of like, should Arya be the the heir to the Iron Throne instead of Jaehaerys? Now this is a case where 
Reyna herself stepped in and said, no, no, she, 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 I know my daughter. She is not qualified to be ruler of Westeros, period. Which Arya didn't like, but Arya was kind of a little bit like used to the pampered life and being hailed as an heir. And that kind of did affect her and had a deep impact on her when suddenly it's like, no, you're not the heir. So go away. And you're kind of irrelevant now. It's a sad story. A breed of fire and blood to find out what happened to her. But then we get finally what the story of J- of Jaharis having two strong, capable heirs in Aemon and Balon the Brave, the heir and the spare. And Aemon marries wise. He marries his uh his uh I think niece or no aunt technically of Jocelyn Baratheon. Uh, well, the the Targaryen yep, family Targaryen tree gets so cra- gets so crazy that nomenclature is just a horrible beast. Yeah. Anyways, like he marries Jocelyn Baratheon, and the big start of the of the debate is that is that Aemon, the the prince of of Dragonstone, the heir to the Iron Throne, has a daughter, and he has no more children, other than his daughter, Rhaenys. And the queen at the who time, never was. Yes. So the queen who never was. And when she was born, Queen Alysanne held her and said, our future queen to be. And she didn't mean that as in she was going to be consort. She meant this is the heir to the Iron Throne. And this is begins the debate is that. And it's interesting what would have happened if Eamon had lived and this issue would have come up then. Because clearly Aemon was 100% going to be the heir to the Iron Throne. But what would that put Rhaenys in? Like, we know what Alysanne thought about the matter, but what would the rest of the realm have thought about the matter? And Rhaenys makes one of the best possible political alliances that just strengthens and makes it pretty clear that she should be, in many ways, the heir to the Iron Throne. Because she marries the most powerful lord other than the king at the time in marrying Corlys Valerian, the sea snake. Yep. And this is like the, like he was briefly the richest Lord in Westeros, which he used to then make like um, a new trading capital and make Driftmark into this magnificent keep. Yep. So he was just, this was the apex of the Valerian's power. And she just married into the most, the second most powerful Lord. Yep. And Jahara said she couldn't have picked a better person. It was yep. a love match. Although there is one little possibility of an infidelity on Corliss's part, but other than now, that, it was a happy marriage. Well, that culturally in Westeros, it seems to be rather just expected that males yeah. will they'll they'll sleep around. It, it's just what it is. But no, she she knew how to play the the game of feudal politics right. She knew how to make a strong alliance with someone who could provide ships, troops, and most importantly, money. Yeah. to help build out a, a feudal coalition in the event that it came to it. Now, I'm not saying that she wanted it to come to that, but I am saying, you know, she's got that in the back of her mind. What do I do in case? Yeah. So then, of course, the tragedy of Eamon dying. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most heartbreaking moments is that Martin writes in Fire and Blood is, is Balon, sadly speaking, to, to Queen Alysanne after that. It was like, I killed a thousand and still didn't bring back my brother beautiful and then that 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 begins the the first quarrel 
of that what do we do uh, of like should should Rhaenys be declared princess of Dragonstone and be declared the heir or should we go to Balon? Now this is a bit of a debate that we can have right now, Jim, is that in a way it's and the way Septon Barth kind of put it and convinced Jaehaerys to side with Balon's claim as his heir is that Balon was trained. Balon was obviously trained from the get-go to be to basically be king of Westeros if the worst situation happened. And for a while, when when the first quarrel, oh, I'm I'm, I'm mixing this up. When the when the first quarrel was happening, Aemon and Balon were basically the, the rulers of Westeros, or at least of King's Landing. And so Balon is definitely competent. And from an experience viewpoint, which is kind of what Jaehaerys was really basing this on, supposedly, is Balon is ready to be king if I just suddenly abdicate or if I up and die, whereas Rhaenys wasn't. Well, I mean, I'm not so sure about that. I do know she was young, certainly, so she wouldn't yeah. have as much experience as Balon. Yes. Um, but I, I really see that as more instead of a uh, of a king naming his heir, at ra- and then that's just being rationalized as to uh, why Balon was worthy, rather than anything like that. I mean, certainly we see in Jaharis's, uh ch- chapters in Fire and Blood— He's not necessarily as enlightened as maybe a lot of people thought when when yeah. he, when the background first came out way back when, uh, you know, less modern in his sensibilities. But um, so I think really what we see, I mean, and, you know, we don't really see any other establishment of this trained criteria. Now, certainly it helps, but we never we never see a rubric established. We never say. So we never have someone be tested or so something to say, well, does he actually know this, that, or the other thing? You know, we never see that happen to Viserys or yeah, you know, well, any of these, these other... So it's like, I, I think that's more of a, uh, the king is picking who the heir, the heir that he wants, and then they're rationalizing it after the fact. Yeah, I was trying to defend him, but yeah, it, it does, and, like, and that's why Alisane kind of sees through it. It's like, and it's also the most amazing hypocrisy because basically Alisane, like everyone loves Septon Barth, but Alisane's basically the second most powerful person in the realm. And she has been like his greatest counselor and kind of the inspiration behind most of his best acts as king. And just like, I've done all of this no, and you still I mean... like basically believe that women are inferior to men. Like, I can't believe that. I cannot believe yeah. that like, after all I've done for you, like you, you yeah. still somehow like have this sexist prejudice in you. Like this well, is- I would say he he should have been, you know, divorced of that when his mom was the one who really ended up sustaining a lot of the early, you know, doing a lot of actions to help enable his his campaign against Magor. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say, for example, like the uh, the advancement of Jaharis the first over Arya area um targaryen you can say well that's because pretty much everybody and their mother acclaimed jaharis during his successful campaign against magor area really can't fight against that and no one really wants to have a big old you know uh you know smackdown civil war right with the whole thing when you know jaharis has actually built this gigantic coalition so you can understand that just from, from a practical perspective 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, th- this one, it just it just seems like he's just saying, well, you know, Balon is my next male child and, uh, you know, we'll do that. And here are all the reasons why. But it's really just he's, you know, he's the king and I can yeah. do what I want because in this matter because I am the king. And then, you know, uh, Alison's just going to have to eat crow about it. Well, not yeah. crow. That's that's more of a humility thing. But just go pound sand. Yeah. Well, and then. I, well, it's also just like it's interesting because he's risking the ire of of House Baratheon, who was 100% behind Rhaenys, and House Valerian, which is, as we said, is like basically at this point at the apex of its power and is the second, is probably the most powerful family in Westeros other than the Targaryens. And they are the two most powerful houses that are closest to him. Yeah. They, they, they're a hop, skip, and a jump away. I mean... House Baratheon is just down the King's Road, and House Valarian is already in the Blackwater Bay. So, you know, if if he wanted to go and get help for it, for that, if it did come to civil war at that time, I mean, sure, the Lannisters or something might be able to help, but they're very far away. Yeah. And this all ultimately is like, a, and Mushroom is 100% like on Rainey's side. I mean, not surprising given how much he loves Rhaenyra, but just like it's like. And especially because of the tragedy of like who they ended up got, getting to be their king instead of Rhaenys <laughs> is kind of like, yeah. it's a bit justified. But I mean, personally, I would say like, I will somewhat, I will defend what I was earlier characterizing is basically that I, that Jaehaerys was, was going through all these motions of like, they were educated, they, they had dragon riding, they had experience as soldiers. So Balon was ready to be king. He was ready to be king. So it, even though, yes, it is sexist, it also makes sense of like, yeah, Balon's ready to do this job if I just up and ab- abdicate. I uh, agree with that. But the problem that I have is that that's never been, a, you know, a criteria for saying for anyone else for, yeah. for this whole air thing. Like, it's like, you know, if you're just going to invent criteria to fulfill and say, look, I fulfill all of these criteria, check, and then never use them again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'm not like, saying he wasn't a bad choice. Balon the Brave, by all accounts, looked to be an actually pretty good choice for a martial aristocracy. Yeah, yeah. it's just you know let let's let's call BS when we see BS. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And so then, and you gotta admire like it's clear that the Westerosi also are super sympathetic to Rhaenys and that they call her the queen that never was. There's this air of despair in that, and and in that like oh. Just such a shame. Like she was never our queen. Yeah, oh, by the way, well, fan casting. I I want Lucy Lawless to play her in House of the Dragons. Okay. I want a warrior princess to be my to be Rainey's. That's my own fan cast dream. Oh, okay. So that's not a that's not a bad choice. Yeah. Yeah, she's been Xena. She can be this. And and she was in Spartacus. So yeah, she's up for all the crazy nudity stuff. Anyways, um. So, when it comes to, then Balon dies, and then yep. we get, obviously, like, Vagon is, like, uh, is summoned by Jaehaerys, and, like, Jaehaerys, I think, is just, like, humoring him, is like, okay, do you want it? And, like, I know you don't want it, but just, do you want it? And it's like, of course not. It's like, but what am I going to do? I was like, well, Dad, you could do this thing that I looked up called uh, a great council, where you you let the lords basically choose who's going to be your heir. And that's interesting because it's almost theoretically as close as you get to 
at least like an aristocratic dem- republic kind of thing, almost. Mm. And that the lords choose who's going to be their ruler. Mm. So this is a very interesting moment in Westerosi political history because it's essentially they're trying to seek out a claim from the rule uh, from the uh, vassals to avoid a civil war. And yes. this makes a lot of sense uh, yeah. because it's like, you know, this is a difficult situation. We're not quite sure what we have to do. If we secure buy in from the vassals, then they really can't complain later. And then we know we're probably and, you know, the people that are put out are going to say, well, you know, we were voted against, and A, I don't want to lose the ability to influence anything future down the road with another great council, and B, I'm outnumbered. So there's a lot of reasons for even the losing side of the great council to at least trust in the validity of a great council decision, provided that it, the an argument was legitimately made. So that you can see this. I mean, securing buy-in from a lot of these uh, vassals is good and is with a weak feudal monarchy like the targaryens i mean they have their dragons but they still don't have nearly the number of men under their uh you know direct service as yeah. a as a lannister or a, a tyrell yeah so they by securing buy-in they really secure the idea that well you know you guys are valued and important and you know, we want, we know, we trust in you. We're acting as our overlord to ensure that we rule this kingdom in a way that is just, and it, it's helped secure peace. And certainly with, I mean, people still remember Jaharis, the conciliator, and all of the deals he made in order to establish this great peace. It's just, it really ties into the brand of Jaharis the first that people still want. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, well, I think you know, I can see point. that. It definitely was the best possible situation, given like now that Balon is dead, it's even more murkier because now Rhaenys has a son, at least. And if, if yeah. not Rhaenys, you can at least say like, well, but Rhaenys has a son. And like, but yeah. but Balon had sons, too. So what do we do about that? And so like that that's part of the whole debate and what it gets down to. And technically, you know, Vagon's around, Vagon's around. Yep. I, I also want to say, like, I said it on, on our Jaharis episode, but just poor Jaharis, the conciliator and Alisane on in terms of the luck with kids of that. Of that, it's right there with, like, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius or Augustus or Ramses the Great of, like, 13 kids and only two outlived both of them. Yeah, that is, that that is, is really just, tragic. That is I mean, true, like... That's insane. And like that does happen in history because I just – of the people I cited. Yeah. And the thing is it's, it's important to note that Jaharis was not that old when he when he ended up dying. I mean certainly he was uh, what, uh, uh, 69 I think, which yeah. I mean don't get me wrong, is, is relatively old. But I mean you know, it's not like he was 100 or anything like that yeah. and to have all of these children – uh, die and certainly you can yeah. understand you know Aemon dies in a battle against Mirish pirates okay that's a death in violence that's just the nature of the beast sometimes but I mean illnesses and suicide and, and childbirth yes. and all all of these things are really tragic and certainly you can see why I mean falling off a horse <laughs> yeah and then I mean what is it Jaharis uh, I mean in, in his older age after Alisane died I mean he was he was so 
I mean, I mean, uh, at least if I remember Fire and Blood and and the the World Book correctly, he was despondent and just yeah. just saddened all the time, muddled and confused. I mean, certainly, yeah. you know, just the the mental stress of it certainly must have taken its toll on him. So that's yeah, also can... why he doesn't partake. I mean, yeah. it's both a wise political move of like saying that I'm not going to influence the Great Council, but it's also he's kind of like so broken at this point that he just lets the lords decide for for yeah. themselves who is going to be the was like i'm just like yeah i'm look i lost my both of my 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 favorite sons like my my wife's dead and my my kid most of my kids are gone yeah and his his most beloved daughter i think is gone too and all all this other stuff is just tragic and he's just just i guess he's broken he can barely do anything i mean that that was when allison hightower came into the picture um she was one of his attendants um so yeah you can just kind of see him as just a man who built so much, but is now just, he's just, just broken. Yeah. He's just so tired all of the time. It's very sad, especially for a guy, when you remember back in the original fire and blood, it was so vigorous. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, but I mean, time, yeah, yeah, time, time's a cruel beast and he hits all of us. Yeah. Well, there's also the, you could somewhat read into it as a bit dementia, has that oh, in, certainly. like by the end and uh, uh definitely dementia uh, or mental stress yeah yeah either either one and uh i mean that that is touching like his last words like he thinks allison is sarah and so that kind of like to me convinced me like oh he he really misses sarah and he's just so sad that what happened happened between them that he's like ostracized from his one of his only remaining ch- children Um, so when we get into the Great Council of 101, though, and this is going to be, this is what I joked about with, with Chloe when we had her on to talk about Rhaenyra, is ultimately a lot of people interpret it one way, that that the one who, who benefited from it did not at all. Of that, like, people assumed that when Viserys was selected, and it also helped that Viserys was selected because his very loyal brother, Damon, was Wow, coincidentally, arming a little a bunch of people behind him. Oh yeah, he brought a posse, and so did yeah. the sea snake. Yeah. So it was like I got an army. Well, I got an army, but yeah. And sadly, like Lenor, Lenor lost by most account by the accounts ten to one. Yeah, yeah. Although, although really, it, it should have been. It really should have been. Le- Viserys versus Rhaenys, but it wasn't. It was Viserys versus Laenor. So between like a, a two-year-old and like a twelve-year-old, it's like yeah, okay, the twelve-year-old. And well, I think part point, of that is. Oh, go ahead. The big propaganda point also, which also clues into later on when the only propaganda point they got left is Blackfire for the Blackfire era, is like he rode Balerion the Black Dread. He's the last person who rode Balerion the Black Dread, the Conqueror's Dragon. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, like, although I think they're reading way more into that than they should have. Like, as I said, like, it was, like, 15 minutes and Balerion was so old that, like, he, he, he probably could barely even tell who Viserys was. Yeah, but, I mean, you think you have to think in terms of, you know, an illiterate population and the symbolism of it. I mean, oh, dragons yeah. are a living thing. You, know, you, would, you would think that if... Valerian thought that he was unworthy that he'd eat him. Now, of course, we, you know, we kind of 
gloss over the fact that Magor rode Balerion, and if there was anybody that was unworthy, it would certainly be Magor. Well, but um, you Magor can just see that this kind Balerion of wrote Balerion. So just like Balerion's not exactly like he's he's yeah. attracted he's attracted to bold people. That's what I, I interpret it as is like bold people. Like oh, I like you, I like you. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I, I think he's just—I think he's big, but he's just—he's also domesticated. But you know, you figure he's also the last, the last living relic of ancient Valyria. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even the Targaryens are just descended from Valyria, but Valyrian yeah. actually was on its soil before it was a blighted demon realm. Yeah. Uh, just so. so you, That's yeah. such a—I love that little line. It was like when, when they talked about Valyrian passing. It was like, wow, wow, what an era! Like. He saw yeah. it all. Yeah. So you, you think of just that in terms of that lost allure of the most powerful civilization of the ancient world and the last relic. And now tangentially, he is the last relic. I mean, this is not a uh, an unusual thing. I mean, kings, you were used to think of having the sacred touch so that if you, you could touch uh, someone and they would be cured of whatever disease they would be touched of uh-huh. or that. But for specifically for a lot of things is that they would touch the pennant of a unit, uh, the banner of a unit, and that would be instill it with the king's command and vigor and grace. I mean, that 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 goes down even in today with these change of command ceremonies where they they formally pass the unit guide on from one commander to another. Um, so you, you can see these kind of traditions uh, have a lot of symbolism, even to our modern secular age of reason. So you can think in in an age like the, the medieval age that westeros is in that would absolutely be in play mm-hmm. so very so basically the way that the maesters interpret it though which is fascinating that as i'm saying like viserys does not interpret it this way is that basically clearly the great council of 101 in addition to the 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 decision in 99 ac like established that no matter what, like the, we have this primogeniture, we have basically solic law, is that no matter what, male claimant is superior to female claimant always. Always. And like yeah. that a female claimant will never be considered. Yeah. Oh. Except in the context of a great council. Yeah. Because in later great councils, you see that, that female claimants are considered. But I can understand that as just uh, a rationing of, you know, well... If all of the if we're going to go and decide on a claim, we need to have all of the claims here. I mean, yes. Annie's Blackfire was invited to a great council. So, I mean, if you want to talk, yeah. I mean, if the Blackfires were considered at a great council, or at least expected to be considered at a great council, thank you, Bloodraven. Well, I think um, that's a whole separate episode. I think Bloodraven yeah. was being what well, Bloodraven was obviously being sarcastic. He was well, I mean, no, no, he was. Oh no, he was definitely trying to lure him over so he can murder him. But. Yeah. Um, but I could see, you know, for example, the Blackfire saying, well, the Great Council is something where claims are considered because of what happened with Maycar yeah. and what happened that I could see that even if Bloodraven felt that he wasn't going to take it seriously, I could understand the Blackfires saying oh, yeah. that they, well, no, that they like, would respect it um, in terms well, of they believe like, in these Blackfires reasoning. And we'll, we'll yeah. get into that. It's like, it's like you know, yeah, hey, eventually. You know, <laughs> yeah, we'll I, get I to it think- eventually. <laughs> I can make a case. I can make a case. Look, come on. We don't need to fight over this. Just just hear us out. Yeah, but anyways. 
So Viserys gets selected. As Mushroom says, the only diff- like why they chose him is kind of absurd because all he had going for him o- over Rainey's was a bit of sausage, as Mushroom ribbedly puts it. I mean, Mushroom's gotta gotta jazz it up. Yeah. So, and why he cho- begins like the issue of succession is the relationship of is the complicated relationship of of two brothers. Now, I said this in in, my, in, in the last episode about Viserys, in, the, in in our regular season episode about Viserys. Viserys did clearly love Damon. And Damon, for all his faults that we're going to talk about, and there are many, Damon never did continence the idea of rebelling against his brother. So Damon did, in his own way, love Viserys. But boy, oh boy, did Damon test it time and time again. And even though Viserys loved Damon, Viserys did know what Damon was. Yeah, I think he wanted to just kind of have him out of his hair, which is why he was so supportive of the war in the Stepstones. Because it's like, okay, well, at least he's not causing problems here. You know, when he turns the gold yeah. cloaks into his private shakedown squad. I mean, he's like, yeah, I professionalized them, but they're also essentially mafiosi yeah. uh, in service to me. Uh, so you can. And then when he does, does it was both the good thing like, and the bad thing, what he did there. It's like, it's like, yeah. well, he organized and made it this much more professional organization, but they're all also his loyal cronies because he just really elevated yeah. them. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he marries the the Lady Royce, and then when she dies, he's like, hey, this is mine now. And even yeah. Jane Aaron was like, no. Yeah, no. And you are no longer welcome in the Vale ever, which, I mean, that's that's actually a, you know, to, to forbid the king's brother from going and st- setting foot in your, uh, you know, in your country, even though you're the Lord Paramount, that's something you do with great care. You could very easily uh, anger the king, and then that could cause you some some problems. But I think Viserys also knew that. I mean, even Viserys had to be like, "Man, can you stop for just five seconds, really, oh, yeah. Damon?" Well, yeah, one hundred percent. Like, it keeps on like he's because he loves him. He's like he he doesn't like end up like saying, "Okay, you're done." But but yeah. it's at the same time, it's always like just like frustrated. And at the same time, it's interesting because like. Immediately, and this is why historians and and fandom like hate Viserys, is like one is that he is, what defines his reign is always like trying to appease his family, of not having a strong enough will to really be decisive, and when he is decisive, he's just too stubborn to ever like reconsider. And so when he chose Rhaenyra as his heir, it was 100% at the time chosen to to spite. Damon and say yeah. like what no way you will never yeah. ever be my heir i will choose my daughter over you yeah and which it's like just, Damon, of course like understandably or not understandably like immediately flog the guy whom who told him that yeah uh, i mean yeah, i, I could understand being angry but also you know you were the one drinking and toasting to the one day heir you know, you can't yeah. be that terrible of a human being and not expect people to say, all right, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm, you know, I'm not going to let let you have any more nice toys. Yeah. So <laughs> understandably, they, they got estranged. And also there's 
But then, of course, and this is why Chloe despises. But I keep on mentioning Chloe, but just because she had it on her show and it was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, no, you had a good episode, but, so there's no reason but, not but, to have fun with it. But anyways, like, uh, is that, and is that basically Damon immediately takes a quote-unquote interest in Rhaenyra, so much so that some, like Chloe said, like that he basically groomed Rhaenyra, of like, oh, I shower her with gifts, and oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, I love you, Rhaenyra. I love you very much. Well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not like I, at all like doing devious things. Well, um, I mean, you know, they say that charm is one of the the elements of a of a psychopath. So I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, from all the sad little bits I know of Ted Bundy, he was charming to many people. But yeah. Anyways, uh, and then of course. Viserys remarries. Viserys remarries, marries Alison Hightower, which may not have been the best choice because theoretically he could have eased relationships with relations with the uh, Valerians by marrying Lena Valerian. Mm-hmm. But then his brother would yeah. marry her later, which that's weird, but yeah, that happened. And anyways, the although that was a love match, so you never know. Yeah, well, the problem is, is that he, even though it was a love match, he negated to think of the political aspects of it because you don't marry in dynastic societies without the expectation that your heir is going to get something. Oh yeah. So that, oh, that was the big, and yeah, and that's, that's more of Viserys's laziness. I mean, that's the big thing is he wasn't just an appeaser. He was lazy. He just mm. didn't want to deal with any of it. Yes. And the problem is, is yeah. you know, you keep, you keep kicking the can down the road. Eventually you run out of road. And the problem is, is that when he, you know, when, when they ran out of road, it ended up burning down the entire realm. But, you know, I mean, well, like luckily for him, he died right before the fire happened, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously coasting off of his, his, his grandfather's, all of his grandfather's work. And so he's reaping all the benefits. And so that's why uh, it's justifiable that, uh, that Gildane says like, this is the apex and it was. This was the apex of the Targaryens' power. And so the only problem is that there's so many tar- dragon riders around that you've created this powder keg of a situation. Well, not only that, but it's, you know, he's not working to to make, you know, he's not working to keep the, you know, the treasury's bursting. So why isn't he doing more great building projects like Jaharis did? Uh, why isn't he f- funding, you know, why isn't he looking for foreign endeavors, you know, maybe doing something about the triarchy or Pentos or something like that? The 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 idea of the Jaharis piece versus the Viserys piece is that the Jaharis piece was a busy piece. There was yes. a lot of stuff going on and, and, and they were great things. I mean, Jaharis built the roads. I mean, more than, you know, the Septon Barth said, hey, we need a sewer system. I mean, in in King's Landing. And I mean, if you want to talk about, I mean, public health, sewers are amazing when yeah. it comes to just, just getting getting the, the waste out and improving the light, uh, the standard of living for everyone in King's Landing. But I mean, Viserys isn't doing that. He's throwing all of these self-indulgent tournaments and things like that, yeah. which I'm not saying that tournaments are wrong. Tournaments definitely have a place in medieval society. But you need to be doing more. Otherwise, all of these dragon riders, as you said, there's too many dragon riders and they're going to sit and they're going to scheme and they're going to think, well, yeah. So, it's, you know, if, if Jaharis is the, the summit, then 
Viserys is where the cliff starts to crumble, but you're not doing anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and it's obviously, obviously the, the problem is clearly there, but just it's not being addressed. And then the start of, of where you clearly get the problem of Viserys is, is where, and I love Rhaenyra and I'm fullheartedly a black, but I will say like from a practical standpoint, this does kind of baffle me in some ways of that, of that when Aegon, the the future Aegon the Usurper, Prince Aegon, is born to Alicent, it's like, well, you have your male heir, so there you go. Isn't that the end of it? He he decides, no, no, Rhaenyra is still my heir. Which is just really well, surprising. It's just like such a jaw-dropping decision, really, of like, no, I made my mind, Rhaenyra is my heir, that's the end of the discussion. So I think the reason why that he was doing that is, again, he didn't want to he I mean, first off, he was very indulgent towards uh, Rhaenyra. So he, he yes. definitely loved her and he didn't want to upset her. And that's his that's, you know, that's been his shtick the entire time is yeah. avoiding conflict, trying not to to make anyone angry. And so he just he didn't want to do that, even though, you know, eventually something's going to have to be done about this. I mean, it's yeah. not like, you know, I mean, even if. Even if in the off chance Aegon II says, you know what, I really don't want to be king, the High Towers are going to be really put out by this whole thing because yeah. that's what they married into the royal dynasty for. So, yeah. I mean, he's just Viserys. Viserys's laziness and is probably one of, if not the greatest contributor to the Dance with the Dragons. And and you know, as you said, you know, a powder keg was going, and it's like, well, you know, even if the guy that uh, is piling all this gunpowder and soaking everything, you know, all of the wood in gasoline yeah. and stuff like that. Even if he's not the one that throws the match, you're still gonna prosecute him for the arson. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's utter recklessness. It's utter like evasiveness and just like really impractical, stupid evasiveness. Yeah, and bordering yeah, on cowardice. Not, yeah. Oh yeah, no, and it's not like nobody could have seen this coming. I mean, it's one thing yeah. if. You know, if if the great spring sickness comes out of nowhere, okay, that's one thing. But yeah. it's like, who could have seen this except for literally every single person? Yeah. And so, and so, Allison, uh, I'm not going to be much to her defense, but even she comes up with a decent solution to the problem at first. It was like, well, okay, fine. Like, fine, you insist Rhaenyra will be your heir, but, well, then Aegon will marry Rhaenyra. And he's like, I mean, no. No, no, like she's she's too old. No, I was like, well, what? I can understand. Well, I can I like understand that because I I do believe if by the time Aegon would have reached sexual maturity, it would have been a, a while for. And he yeah. he has to think about his dynasty to secure. But at the same time, if you're gonna reject the plan out of hand, come up with a plan. Yeah. <laughs> come and, up and so, with one. Well, then okay, and then this is a, also a bit of a debate moment where we can have like this is where we where the, Martin wonderfully gives us two options and how house of the dragon we'll we'll see which one they go with is that is that then we get back into Damon being a rascal and like what definitely like in both versions Damon was messing around with Rhaenyra mm -hmm. like in one version it's just like that Rhaenyra's in love with Damon but in the other version it's even more ribald and disgusting and much more yeah like predatory yeah, where it's just like, oh, you love Kristen Cole. Well, let me teach you the ways of love so you can seduce him. And then, and meanwhile, it's like, 
Oh yeah, uh, bro. Yeah, um, I ruined her for everyone else, so you got to make me marry her. And Viserys, of course, is like, no. First off, you're married. Yeah. And second off, no. Go My away. God. Yeah. <laughs> like meanwhile, that is like you know, so disgusting. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, Viserys is like, oh, is there anything else? Do you want to eat a pu- a puppy in front of everybody too? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I can imagine that conversation and just imagine that. I'm just like, uh, HBO, looking at you. Anyways, uh, so so then we get the this. So then finally, Viserys chooses to appease the 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 very much downtrodden Valerian branch of his family. By having Lenor and, and in a way, on paper, it's it's probably the best choice because it's like, well, my other rival claimant is going to marry my heir, so that's going to ease all tensions, right? This is going to be a perfect marriage, but this is where personal is politics, where it's just like, yeah, uh, Dad, he doesn't like me. Oh well, that's fine, you know. Uh, plenty of marriages don't really. It's for it's business but it's like no i mean he doesn't like women dad yeah well i mean that i mean that that the way that uh, westerosi uh politics actually looks to uh to look at uh, homosexuality in general especially for men is that as long as you project project an image of masculinity and you know sire your heir to keep the dynastic politics going what you do in private is really your own affair seems to be more along the lines of uh Greek or Roman uh, view on homosexuality as opposed to the more um, like uh, the, the Christian uh, kind in medieval Europe. But I mean, even even so, I can see how, um, you know, that's just, you know, the, just, you know, I mean, certainly Raina is very, you know, she's a very, you know, type A, I'm going to get what I want type personality. Yeah, and uh you know, putting her in that kind of marriage is definitely going to to uh, to rub her the wrong way. And certainly Lenor is not happy about it either. But uh, I mean, you know, I, I think eventually the two of them just hashed it out behind closed doors and like, look, you know, this is what's going to be because otherwise you're going to lose your you know, you're going to lose yeah. your air heirdom. So we're just going to have to make this work. And I know you don't like it and I don't like it very much either, but we're, this is just how it's going to have to be. And Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra is very rightfully compared to basically, she's an amalgamation. Rhaenyra and Allison are basically amalgamations of, of Cersei and Daenerys. And that like Rhaenyra clearly has then bastard kids it's like oh yeah it's like it's obvious to everyone and like it, it would be fascinating to get into Viser- viserys's head because he obviously hears it and like he has eyeballs yeah he and, like, knows but but just like at the same time it's again like his his appeal his, his appeasement and like evasiveness still goes on where he's just like maybe we should call him viserys the evader yeah yeah so Viserys the Evader just like continues like, shut up, I don't care. Yeah, no, I mean, and then that's the thing is that just just like as Tyrion says, 
you know, when you tear out a man's tongue, you're just proving you you fear what he says. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, it's not like anybody, everybody. And, you know, the, the worst part of it in terms of a political decision is that Rhaenyra said, you know, exalts them and says, no, no, they are very clearly, you know, legitimate children. Yeah. And they are going to be the next heirs. So she's rubbing it in everybody's face, basically yeah. saying, yeah, these are uh, these are illegitimate children. And you're going to have to just accept them as heir because I said so. And that's yes. I mean, aristocrats are a notably prickly and proud bunch. They're not going to yes. like that. Um, but then she's got Corliss behind her and yep. Corliss and Rainey's behind her. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's. In some ways, like I think, and there, there's a telling moment in Fire and Blood that is that, is that he he reminds his heirs when they say like we'll prove we're really Targaryens. He's like, uh, no, you're Valerians, remember? Yeah. It's like he's. I think he's really behind this because, and kind of like almost a crown moment is like. Soon, the royal household will be the House Valerian. Yeah. So, that's one of the reasons why he's ultimately behind them. Yeah, and even if he isn't the king, he will—he is the patriarch of House Valerian. That gives him an outsized amount of influence, even more than he would as a notable senior counselor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I mean that, and certainly also there's a little bit of uh, sour grapes too. You know, we—the Valerian branch has been, you know, shunted out for so long that now it's our time to get back, and we're not going to let you guys stand in our way. There's a little yeah. bit of that going on, a little bit of family pride. So. You know, I mean, I, I you can you can see that even though the 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 kids are not going to be his kids, it's just you know at this point this is the best option he's going to get. You know, if the outcome is that the blacks, I mean the the future blacks, I don't even think they're called the blacks yet, win this uh, this succession crisis, then it's going to be a lot better than if any other faction is in charge. Yeah, well, well, no, they're called the blacks during the. During the the, tur- the yeah the that, tournament the, the tournament yeah and that's when um and that's also like whichever version you believe there's clearly a falling out between Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra and yep. and Kristen Cole becomes a green and so yeah I can I can believe the, I can honestly believe that squire spurned, I can believe that he 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 got spurned by Rhaenyra I can believe that. Mm. See, but, I, I I subscribe more to the idea that he was disgusted by it because when you see in the later writings, you you, you see this dis, like this puritanical streak to him about how yeah. um, you know he's so disgusted by this other type these other types of sexuality, mm-hmm. and I mean you could and you can see that as really toxic thing is that you know she does this and now he has to make it all about him and now he's going to yeah. enforce his model of purity on everybody and he's everybody who is deviant or anything like that is going to feel the sword and you can mm-hmm. kind of see him just kind of really run you know jumping into that that's i mean at least that's where my read of Kristen cole is that he is just so puritanical that he feels the need to punish anyone who deviates in a way that impacts him so we can get into it a little bit right now, but when he finally earns the title Kingmaker, I'm going to say right now, like, he is the perfect foil to Jamie. Like, obviously, Jamie made it in in A Storm of Swords, but just like it's like, wow, like, Jamie, like, 
like they're they're perfect opposites of like one they're defined by by this one thing but just like jamie you find out really like yes he's made some huge mistakes but like the thing that made him most infamous is his most heroic moment Mm. and really what makes hit Kristen cole infamous is really such a horrendous decision that leads to thousands upon thousands dying Jamie saved thousands and thousands of people and earned enmity for all eternity. Kristen Cole basically does something that leads to thousands and thousands dying. Yeah. And also the, um, at least, I mean, now part of this is also because we actually get Jamie as a POV character and we don't get the same for Kristen Cole, but we see that Jamie is very, very, you know, he's got a lot of complex emotions regarding this thing. Where we see with Kristen, we don't really see anything like that with Kristen Cole. So it's, you know, in terms of just assuredness, it's, you know, Jamie is constantly, you know, examining it and coming back to it when he's sleeping and other things like that. And we don't really see any sort of regret or anything from Kristen Cole. But, you know, we don't also don't have a POV chapter from him. We don't see we don't we wouldn't have a, a window into his brain like we would for mm-hmm. Jamie. One of the reasons I'll, I'll say it throughout this episode, it's why I'm looking forward to House of the Dragon, seeing what they do. Seeing what they do. It'll be curious. Looking forward to the show. Anyways, um, I got to wait two more years, though. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, when we... We get to it, and Viserys, for his credit, I will say, like, he is making tr- attempts to, like... He do- is aware that this rift is has formed between his family, and he's trying to mend it. And, like, he says, like, oh, well... Um, you know, uh, Prince Joffrey and uh, my youngest son, Prince Darren, like they'll be milk brothers and they'll and they'll be educated together, and like all these attempts only somehow worsen it. Are they just? Well, he's just rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic at this point. Yeah. You know, I mean, if he really wanted to do something about it, he would have needed to do something drastic. He would have needed to do something drastic five or ten years ago, but he's certainly going to need to do something drastic now. And he just doesn't have the effort in him. Yeah. And and then Rhaenyra does something that really does. I love Rhaenyra. I, I will say that this choice does make it a little bit where, like, I can understand, like, one of the reasons why a lot of the people flock to the greens is like, she's going to be Damon's puppet, which no, she wasn't. But yeah, like that fear is very understandable because then she she follows her heart and marries Damon after Lenor mysteriously died. Yep. Yeah. Mysterious, uh, mysteriously died. Yeah. Well, did, yeah. Did. There's lots of question marks on that death. It's like, uh, no, there's, there's one question mark. It was Damon. It was Damon. <laughs> Oh, I can believe just a jealous lover, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can believe the simple answer, but I can also believe the conspiracy pretty easily. And so... Yeah. Damon... And also, I do believe, like... I believe Mushroom's version of it very much. Of that... Oh, yeah, she totally was pregnant. It was total shotgun wedding. He's like, I am not giving birth to an indisputable bastard. You are marrying me. It's like, Yes! Knocked you up. I mean, I think... And also just like, but unfortunately, like those kids and I'll write an essay about it, but just like a Prince Aegon the Younger's birth, the future Aegon the Third, like his birth even more kind of like exacerbated and just further demonstrated the divide between the family. Because like this is like, yep, this is clearly a Targaryen kid. 
this is clearly like Blood of Valyria. Like this kid has all the Targaryen looks, and he's also named Aegon. Like that's an insult to my Aegon. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, at this point, I mean, the factions are so against each other that they're doing everything they can to snipe at each other. I mean, that isn't surprising. Well, then of so course there's we... actual fights when you know Aemon oh, loses. Yeah. His yeah. So. Yeah, and then uh, and then Rhaenyra tries to get him tortured to death. Yeah. Which was yeah, you know, absolutely. That's that's why I kind of don't subscribe to the idea that someone says, well, you know, it's just the stresses of the war and all that that really turned her into a tyrant. And I'm like, no, she was always a nasty piece of work. I uh, I maintain basically the 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 war really did did a number on her and just what she was going through. I do maintain that it's just like. That she goes through so much, it, and like mushroom. I do not disagree. Is the most like empathetic and reasonable to say like, look at what she goes through. She loses. Yeah. She, she she gives birth to a stillborn daughter that she blames as the stillbirth being caused by the stress of losing her crown, and she loses all but one of her. She, she believes she loses all but one of her sons, and. Everything that she thought, and basically she feels betrayed by the people, everything, it's just, it's all this heartbreak and betrayal and sadness to where I can understand, like, she just loses yeah, it. I do not disagree that she went through, I, I do not disagree that she did, that she went through some stuff. Every Everyone can freely admit that she went through some stuff, but I maintain that she was always a nasty piece of work, and a lot of that stuff isn't really an excuse. Trying okay. to say, look, these are my bastard children, and you will accept them. Deal with it, and then you know, torture. You know, demanding that uh, Aemon be tortured. You know, which is he needs to be questioned sharply to to know where he heard it. Anybody, you know, you read Daenerys's chapter. The shave pate uses that exact terminology for extract information via torture. Yeah. You know that well, that's what that. Uh, well, she says that because like you you spread that lie of my bastard children my children being bastards yeah i mean but you know then that gets back to the whole you know but she loves her kids like i'm going back to the second rhaenyra episode we did like the big thing the difference between her and cersei and not cersei from the show cersei from the books is that rhaenyra clearly loves her kids she adores her children so much whereas cersei clearly doesn't well, Cersei is a narcissist, so she she yeah. loves them in so much as they are reflections of herself. It's the same reason why yeah. she loves Jamie because he's a reflection of herself, and that's that's at a common first. trait among narcissists. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, at first, but I mean, you know, she always sees all of these things about herself in others, and then when she sees things that she's lost, that others. Yeah. And then when she sees, you know, Marjorie or Sansa who have things that she no longer has just because of the, uh, you know, the ravages of time, uh, she gets, in, you know, violent, incredibly, you know, jealous, paranoid, and trying to, you know, do what she can to remove them, to belittle them, to call them stupid, to make sure that she can establish the supremacy of herself. Okay. So that being said, though. Also, by this point, you can Aegon the Prince Aegon the Elder at this point is clearly a, a character, and I must say, and this is one of the reasons why I'm a black, is that 
it was clear already by this point Aegon was a piece of crap. Not a total oh, yeah, piece of no. crap, but like it was just like between the two, oh yeah, I would 100% go with Rhaenyra of just like she at least is a statesman, she at least is wise. Like Aegon is just like this spoiled brat prince. Like not See, I disagree. Evil, but like but not, but totally just like like I just want to drink, I just want to screw my concubines. Yeah, I'll 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 beget some children from my wife, but yeah. And just like he's just this late he he strikes me as as like his father's son of just lazy lazy oh, he is. vain. He, and he just can't even he can't even be bothered to put enough effort into growing decent facial hair. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's a bit of style, but yeah. And uh, I mean I I, I don't think I don't think that Rhaenyra was very wise because one of the things that she did during these lead up to the Dance of the Dragons that was incredibly stupid was that she kept herself in diplomatic isolation. Uh, she did not go out to make progresses. She did not go out to go and make contacts among the people of Westeros, the vassal, the senior vassals and things like that. And she really needed to do so. That was one of the things that uh, Aegon could actually do because he was actually in King's Landing and, you know, the, he could go to the Reach and visit his in-laws and stuff like that. And while he was but going, he, wasn't he would give either. He, Jim, he wasn't either. And he would receive why, people why, 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 why neither of them went on progress is, is because Viserys, like, doesn't want to rock the boat. He doesn't want to, like, if Rhaenyra, like, would have done that like immediately allison would have like put up a hissy fit and said like no it needs to be a whole family and Aegon needs to be there well i mean that's the thing is that you can still so, make these these ideas like for example um you know i believe that uh you know they're related to the the i mean the rainus is related to the baratheons so there's yes. no reason that they can't that a couple of them can't go and visit the baratheons i mean there's ways you can do it i mean i'm certainly be, you know, she would never be able to sell herself as a royal progress. You know, Viserys is still alive, and even if he's in his advanced age, there's no way he would have signed off on that. But yeah. just sign, you know, just actually going and visiting the people, patronizing different, uh, you know, going to cities and patronizing different artists and artisans. These are things you can do, and we do see that Alicent is definitely actually moving, and so is uh, what's his name, her father, um, Lord Hightower. Lord Hightower, yeah. Yeah, um, I think exactly. it was Orm- Ormond. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ormond High Tower. You can see that they're actually doing what they can to secure themselves. I mean, Allison uses her control over the royal staff to essentially launch her coup. I'll disagree with you in that, in as much as like Ormond was was deposed by Viserys and was was out of the the woodwork for quite some time. It's only when, and I do believe this is where Viserys is like trying to solve the problem, but not solving the problem of killing break of trying to get rid of Breakbones in the fire of Harrenhal. Hmm. I do think that was Viserys. And that's like, unfortunately though, he kills Lionel Strong. Is that, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Lionel Strong. And so is like his reliable hand to the King. And so then it falls to where he turns back to Ormond. Ormond, who is very firmly agreeing, which got, which was what got him fired in the first place. Yeah, but so, I'm, I'm not saying he did it as hand. I'm just saying that he was able to to build because you see all of these, you know, when the uh, when the greens come together, you know, there's so many different families that are all, you know, you know, makes you know somebody had to make connections to the Lannisters, although that could be through Thailand. But you see in the Reach, you see all this stuff. But I mean, I will say that you know a lot of the the lead up in terms of the political machinations of that is kind of glossed over, so we have to infer a lot of that. But yeah, no, I mean, Rhaenyra 
needed to make more connections. She should not have married her children into into more of her family, you know, marrying cousins and things like that. She really needed to use them, especially Luceris. Because, because like, that's part of, like, strengthening her Valerian. And this is still Valer- House Valerian is, is the house to be related to at this point, pretty much. I know, but there was too many marriages. Luceris definitely should not have been married to, uh, was it Reyna or Bela? I can't remember. Um, uh, Reyna is the, is the younger one, and yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Well, they, they weren't married, Luce- they were engaged, but yes. Yeah, well, you're betrothed, but no, Luceris's hand needed to be open for a diplomatic alliance. It needed to be. That that just yeah. had to have happened. Well, because, I mean, I mean that, that's what you have have Joffrey for. You have Joffrey, Valerian, a third, and, and... A third it, son it, is not worth the price of an heir. When you, when it's the princess of, of Dragonstone, I think there oh, can I'm still be... I'm not saying that the third son is worthless. I'm saying the heir, though, that's a prize. That's, well, yeah. well, that's the that's the money that's the money betrothal right there. Yes, but hey, everyone wants to be married to everyone wants to be married to the heir to the Iron Throne. That's kind of well, the yeah the heir to the heir of the Iron Throne. But that's yeah. the whole point is that you know I mean we can certainly say that neither the greens nor the blacks maybe the only one with his head in the sand at this point is viserys himself knows that that this thing is not just going to blow over there's going to be something on the horizon though they don't they don't necessarily need to say that hey westeros is going to burn down but they know that there's something on the horizon yeah okay that being said though also she should have made why i'm a black is that the the lords not soon before the dance with the dragons happens one when she when Rhaenyra was declared heir, she she many lords swore their allegiance to her, and then fairly before the dance happens, they are asked to swear again, and they do swear. Under oh, I'm not saying. And so that's really saying, I mean, yeah, damning for the lords is that you cannot like if you say that that is not sacred and binding, you are opening a huge can of worms, and you are just and you are causing the dance of the dragons to happen. Is that yeah. If you say, like, but then the question. Say, but then the question is again: you have two competing priorities. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have these two competing uh, legalistic su- succession crises, and it's like then the question is: well, what if the king tells me to ignore the succession? I mean, that, then that's that's already a can of worms that we're opening up. Now, I'm not I'm not defending uh, the people that that decided to backslide on their oath. Feudalism is based on oaths, so. But I'm saying that there's a lot more into it than that and you can see i mean and certainly just practical yeah. concerns of you know self-advancement also yeah play but no I, I i i'm sorry i must take them much more to task because this is not the case of when, when we get to it of, of robert's rebellion robert's rebellion is 100 percent justified for them like breaking their oaths because clearly the king is not upholding his part of the, basically the deal of feudalism of that he has failed them and, and that he's being arbitrary he is just now it's all self-centered i get what i want only and you are my subjects it, it's like no, no, no. The... but 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 this is just like it's like rhaenyra has done theoretically right now nothing to justify like betraying her of like that you are obligated to obey your oath you made an oath and there is clearly like rhaenyra has done nothing that like warrants other than like the bastardy is like the only thing I can think of that there was even a, like a remote reason to 
disobey your oath. The only other thing I can mildly say in their defense is it's just like, well, Viserys was wrong. Like he was yeah, doing well, something. Yeah, well, that that's that, that's what that was the the mentality that they would have is that it's like, well, you know, the succession and the great councils and all of these things established this, and Viserys went went against it. So the king has asked us to disobey the succession law. Again, that's the whole can of worms. And like again, now you can sim- simply say, especially for the people that actually physically swore that oath, um, you know, the people that actually stood up there and put hand, you know, said I swear to the seven, you can say, well, you know, you swore an oath and you you went back on it. Yeah. If you had misgivings, you should have raised that in council. But then you have the, you know, like Tyland Lannister never yeah. swore that oath. So it's yeah. like, uh, you know, so it, it, I mean, it, it's it's wiggy, and that's the whole thing. That's I mean, well, well, for as much as I dislike the actual war, I like the the buildup of a political crisis. Is yeah. that it's it's wiggy. Well, this is why I love this. This is why why this is my favorite period because there is like genuine debate. This is a genuine debate. It's just like with black with the Blackfire. I was like there there is genuine ambiguity and there is genuine debate here because it's like well, the Saris did err, but like, but you've already made these oaths so. You got to keep up this the two like your like because a, a holy oath is pretty damn important. And it's interesting too because you actually see that during the Dance of the Dragons himself when the different Green Counselors exhibit their different like you know for example, Ormond Hightower he's just straight up you know I my house is high House Hightower and I'm yeah. dancing House Hightower. And then yeah. you have Kristen Cole, who has a much more personal stake in making sure that Rainra is not the queen. He wants to take yeah. her out. But then you have Ironrod. And now Ironrod is actually citing all of these legal arguments. Whether or not you believe that he believes them is, you know, beside mm-hmm. the point. But then you have you see all of these different things. And then on the black side, you're gonna have the exact same arguments. You know, some yeah. people's gonna say, well, no, the king can do this and Again, as I said, I don't like the Dance of the Dragons from an actual war point of view. I don't think it's very well plotted from that point of view. But from the actual leading up to political crisis, I do like that. What do you mean by well plotted? The the Dance of the Dragons, the actual war itself, there's just so many plot holes in the actual war. Uh, I mean, you know, they just forget about armies half the time. I mean— and then the the greens did they they show up just to job uh they they just fail at everything they do it's 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 very clearly not a war between two competing sides so much as it is the rise and the fall of the or the rise and the fall of the blacks and the fall of the blacks being the various personal failings and shortcomings of the individual black actors themselves i can see that argument and the Greens are kind of just there to be. I mean, all of them, they, they either win incredibly pyrrhically and they by losing a lot of ships. Uh, you know, they win through no real success of their own. They they choke when they have overwhelming advantages and stuff like that. You never see that with the Blacks. It's just, again, it's just not the very best plotted war from that well, perspective. No, but, that's, but, that's I mean, sometimes, but, but that's wars, Jim, is that sometimes, like, it's that... George Washington lost more battles than he won. It's, it's you. Well, no, I'm. I, I agree with that. But, 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 but you can still like, but you can still lose the war. I mean. Well, yeah, you can you can lose battles and still win the war, and and but I mean, you know, the the American Revolution also had pens or the, the Southern Campaign. There was a lot of stuff that went on in the American Revolution. Now, part of that is also word space. 
you know, history does not have a word limit, whereas George, Mar- George R. Martin definitely does. So yes. he has to go. You're breaking up a little bit. Is he, he, oh, sorry. Uh, he has to prioritize whatever it is he wants to put into this thing. But again, for me, it's just the Dance of the Dragons. Actual war, the way. Or the first Blackfire Rebellion, or hopefully these later Blackfire Rebellions, when we get some Dunkin' Egg that really dives into that little fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Although I am not looking forward. You're broken up. You're not winter, looking the winds of winter is I'm not looking forward to it as much as I am the winds of winter. That okay. is still priority number one. Uh, I would honestly be happy with anything George R. R. Martin comes from Westeros personally, but yeah. Oh, I'd be happy with it too, but if I had my choice. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, so I really would love Fire and Blood Volume 2 just because I'd love to hear all the what he would do with Aegon the Unworthy and actually pretty much all of that history. And I'd be curious where he ends it. I'm, in some ways, I think like he, that he should end it right when Aegon V gets coronated. Like that would be the perfect endpoint for Fire and Blood Volume Two, even though he has said uh, it's I'm not sure. going to go all the way to Robert's Rebellion. Yeah, I'm not sure if he wants to go and do that though. The more stuff he puts in Fire and Blood Volume Two, the less he has as reveals for Duncan Egg Tales. Well, so, yeah, 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 I mean that's just that's just that's just a decision he's going to have to make. Well, no, that that that's why I say coronation, as in like that's just like that egg will be king, and then that's kind of it. And just like, well, yeah, but I mean, even, even then, uh, you still have all the Makar, the Makar times. Like, I mean, Makar in the world book had one half of a page, and the other yeah. half was was the succession due to his death. Yeah. Well, and, when we talk yeah. um, in about two episodes about Makar, like preview for that right now is just like that. Poor Makar, basically, like you can tell by the crown he forged, he was really expecting the Black Fires to invade. And be this wartime leader, and he ruled over a peacetime era in the middle of the Blackfire era. Makar is Stannis. I'm just gonna say it out right there. Makar yeah. is Stannis. Yes. Well, yeah. that's a that's another discussion. So, but yeah, so we get to this dark age, and now you know this huge civil war, and it yeah. kills the dragons. L- let's talk that... a little bit though of of um okay. power formulation, and that okay. like in that. It's interesting when you when we talk about both the the greens and the blacks. One, it's it is a clear and utterly successful at first coup d'état by Queen Alicent, which and we're going to talk about it right now. But I do say, even though I pr- freaking hate Aegon the Usurper, I will say that like I do believe that the the most sympathetic version of him being offered the crown of like partially because I think he's lazy, but it's just like, yeah, no, I don't want to be king. Like, that's Rhaenyra's job, yeah. No, and I also believe, like, it's like, if you don't accept it, your kids might die. It's like, okay, fine. See, I disagree. From every from the first, he seems to be greedy and grasping, and I think that that just went in, when even if he had said, well, I don't really want to be king, it's like, well, you get everything you want, and he's, like, sold. <laughs> I don't think he would have even, I don't think he would have even needed that that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think he I mean, again, props to Allison because she was able to use her command of the household staff, which is traditionally yeah. a um, 
what the who what the queen is a, a duty that the queen manages. Yeah, she was able to establish perfect information control, install her son as king of Westeros on the Iron Throne. It is. It is also one of the most monstrous things, and like it's one of the reasons why she's such a terrible human being. Is like she lets Viserys rot for two weeks while she's consolidating power and makes sure that her son is king. So she I mean, lets her son be dead, her her husband be dead for two weeks, and just pretends that he's alive for that well, long. I hate to say it, but if that if things are about to get much worse. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so and so good precursor though. <laughs> yeah, pretty good precursor. And so then when we get into what what Aegon the Usurper is doing in terms of like cons- of of image and what he's trying to define himself as king in that he chooses to wear Aegon's crown and that he's saying I am the second Aegon and not only that but rechristening the Targaryen banners of like that was the banner of Aegon the Conqueror this is the banner of Aegon the Second really and this might somewhat inform when we talk about Aegon the Third his reaction to that of like real if we could get any idea of Aegon the the Second it's also a bit of pageantry and that like the golden dragon I am the golden dragon and I have a green field and a golden dragon is my banner because this is the new era of House Targaryen me and my golden dragon and green field. Yeah, and I think he's he's also you know, this pageantry is to borrow the symbolism of the conquering and victorious Aegon. Aegon yeah. is incredibly popular. The first Aegon is an incredibly popular king, and Aegon's then he, he knows. Yeah, he's and a- he yeah, and he needs to be he needs to to attach himself to this symbol so that he could have a a leader that people believe in, and you know a leader that these vassals are going to be willing to fight for. Certainly he knows that he's got, you know, he's got the largest dragon, but he does not have a dragon, a numerical supremacy, even before the dragon seeds uh, question. Yeah. You, uh, the blacks are outnumbering the greens in terms of quantity of dragons. But I mean, then there's the with, quality of dragons is that Amond has Vagar. Yeah. And according yeah, to what everybody dragon. says, yeah, according to what everybody says, you know, any uh, Vagar is a match for any two other dragons, which certainly gives them a lot of things. But again, if you can, as we showed in the Aegon's Con- as in, in Aegon's Conquest, the ability to have multiple dragons and to deploy them to multiple theaters is something that he did very well. Yes. So Aegon needs to Aegon the Second needs to worry about how are the Blacks going to deploy their dragons. It would be great for Aegon if he could get Vagar one on one with another dragon because that means for the most part probably what everybody is thinking is that Aemond and Vagar are going to win they're going to take very little damage and then he's going to be able to essentially parse down <laughs> the black dragon supremacy oh boy was he wrong oh I Rainey's, mean he was Rainey's pulp proved well, that nope well nope. we can actually talk about that when we get to Rook's Rest because I believe that was actually Kristen Cole's idea from the beginning. Oh one hundred percent. Yes. Because that that was that very clearly was a plan to take a decapitation strike against Rhaenyra. And yes. the only person who was looking for that over you know, that specific objective, specifically, I want to hurt and kill Rhaenyra. I mean certainly Aegon wanted to do that, but 
Kristen Cole really wanted to do it. So you can actually see the hand of Kristen Cole in that strategic formulation. But we yeah. also see this this early diplomatic presentation where both um, the where the Greens and the Blacks both offer uh, essentially a peace treaty to each other, saying, you know, accept my yes. rule and all of this, and you know, we will avoid conflict. And you can see that as sort of a, an offer that they knew they weren't going to take, but the idea, the image of it needs to be done. Oh, yeah. we'll see this. Yes. We'll see this later when, after Rhaenyra takes over King's Landing, this 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 image failure. I mean, Rhaenyra has a lot of problems, but she does not know how to secure a political image for herself. Um, well, well let, let me disagree a little bit in that when she's crowned, like she takes Viserys's crown. Of that she is the continuation of of the Jaharis line, of that she is the she takes on Jaharis the conciliator's crown, and that she is like saying that, and, and like the last king's crown of like that I am the continuation I am the rightful heir because I'm wearing my father's crown. Mm-hmm. And like, well, and the problem is, is that she doesn't like, have a septon. She has Damon do it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying it's perfect, mind you. Yeah, well, I mean, like, that, that's the that, thing. That's part of, like, the, the, the awkwardness. But then, like, here's the thing also, is that one, like, is that the people in King's Landing alone are not thrilled by this, and Allison makes sure that people don't try to escape the city. So that, the fact that they're escape, trying to escape knows that, like, oh, no, we got a war on our hands. yeah. And that, that, that it's recorded that one peasant, when hearing the news that Aegon was crowned, screamed out, long live our queen, just means that, like, even the peasants were divided and, like, they were not thrilled by this at all. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they, they, the, the peasants are not, you know, it, it's tough. You can't mistake illiteracy for stupidity. Yes. Uh, espe- yes especially that's, in that's a pre-modern age. Yeah. Is that you, you know, I mean, Dunk is the perfect example. He's not literate. He's not classically educated, but he knows things. And it's the yeah. same thing with the peasantry. They're not idiots. They're not, they don't live in a vacuum. They don't not, they don't not care about the, the, uh, the state of politics. I mean, certainly they're not going to care, you know, what uh, the second daughter's favorite color is, unless it happens yeah. to create a, uh, a big boom in that industry. Certainly the dyers would care about that. But the they are not stupid. They know at least a little bit of what's going on, and they talk. And yeah. you know that's the thing. So you you can't ignore them. You can't say that they're worthless. And that's that's something that both that really a lot of kings in you know nobles learn to their sorrow is underestimating the small folk. You see a lot of small folk agency that George likes to sneak into these wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes overtly, but sometimes subtly. So when we get to... This is going to be a long episode if we keep on going, but I'm I'm good if you are. Oh, I am. I am. I got I've got uh, something to drink, so make sure my throat doesn't dry out. Yeah. Uh, So when we get to the the of of one, Rhaenyra has just gone through a horrible stillbirth at as she's making her plans. So not already not in the best state of mind, and she has clearly feels betrayed. But in terms of po- political maneuvering, and this is where it's a bit 
both controversial and also daring for what she does is not only does she make the wise choice of like, okay, Corliss, you're going to be my hand of the, of the queen. But she also has Damon declared protector of the realm. Yes. Now, still, clearly, Rhaenyra is in charge because she still is Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Queen. So she is higher in power than... Yes. Than, ...than Daemon. But she has given a royal consort this exuberant amount of power. And this is something like formal power that even Visenya and Rhaenys did not have. Yeah, well, it's interesting because personally, first you see this whole, you see this idea of, you know, Westerosi morals where men are commanders and women are not commanders. Yeah. Uh, so that, so naming, naming Damon as Lord Protector is certainly, you know, it appeals to the Westerosi society. And there's a practical concern. Rhaenyra is right now recovering from an incredibly difficult pregnancy and she needs to act now. And she really doesn't, she's not in the, the healthy state that she needs to be in order to act as a dragon rider. Although, yeah. if I recall correctly, she never actually engages in combat uh, during the Dance just during of the Dragons. The, just, just once during the conquest of, of King's Landing. And, I mean, that was a that was a wash as far yes. as, I mean, if I remember correctly, that was a wash. Yes. So, so you can see that she's not really, she doesn't really act the way as a martial aristocrat does, but she names someone who does have experience. And both Corliss and Damon have wartime experience. Now, naming Corliss's yeah. hand is excellent because Damon is not an administrator and does not sit still, and Corliss no. can, can do all of that. So naming him as the, as the hand is smart, as well as also placating her senior you know, supporter. If, if the Valarians decide to abandon the Black cause, they're done. Yes, well... So, um, well, and I will say... Um, well, no, the Davos Fingers, shout out to them... Is uh, that they did say like they love Corliss and he's and I will say like Corliss is basically the best person like like there's no reason why anyone should hate him throughout the whole Dance of the Dragons he's completely awesome and a totally decent dude. Oh, he's he's and he's definitely just a fun character all around. Yeah, um, great character. I love so Corliss. Yeah, and he definitely is also have... like he is definitely the Valerian's egg on the Conqueror. He is like their apex. Although Alan Oakenfisk would give him a run for his money, it's always going to go to Corliss for me. It's always Sea Snake. Well, Oakenfist is more of a post-Dragon Age hero. He's not. Yeah. He's not more of a, he a hero in this day and age. I mean, honestly, it's Alan's brother that's more of oh, a. Oh yeah, uh, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, Adam. And he. Now, I have a. I have a thesis statement about the Dance of the Dragons that I'll say at the end. But Adam Valerian factors into it significantly. Okay. Um, but, uh, so then we, so we, we see that the, the black, so, so she rejects the, the deal and uh, offers one of her own because she understands that Allison just trying to control the narrative and saying, look, we did everything we could. Uh, yeah. and, and so Rhaenyra realizes, no, I can't let her do that. Uh, so she sends back her own offer that she knows is going to be rejected. But again, it, puts them in the right place so neither one of them can say look we we tried everything you're the bloodthirsty one you're the one who yeah. wants to go and jump to the kin slaying yeah. but then we see these early thing where Rhaenyra realizes that she needs to get more supporters she yeah. has the valerians but she needs supporters on the westerosi continent now she looks out to her ideological allies 
uh, Jane Aaron is probably one of the most sympathetic because she is also a woman holding a title in her own right. And if she does not support the idea that Rhaenyra, as a woman, can hold a title in her own right, it endangers her own holdings. Yes. So so 100% great choice. House Baratheon has a lot of blood ties. Also another good choice. House Stark supported their faction in the Great Council of 101, as did House Manderley. So they're a bit far away, but still another good choice. And it makes absolute sense why they would say, yeah, let's make sure that we get the Starks. The problem is, of course, is that the Starks are very, very far away. So you need to be able to to bring them down. But there's there's really no other way around it. She needs allies. The dragon starts in the middle of a winter. So just pointing that out there. But um, I think what you skipped a little bit of a fun detail, which is a smart thing on Rhaenyra's part, is she goes like they, they have records of the voting for the, the Great Council of 101. So they know the houses that supported a, basically a woman's claim. So they go to those houses for support. Oh, yeah. No. I'm saying. And yeah, she's looking also, for I mean, allies. I have a clue on, on, on Martin's part, but a lot of the, the houses that, that, that get Rhaenyra's support are also the houses that are kind of the most fan favorites. That the Stark oh, yeah. backer, the the Valerians backer, all these like the Aarons backer, all these like really important in yeah. like latter day history. Yeah, the, and, the heroic houses. You know, I think you have the the Blackwoods backer as opposed to the Brackens, who are this family yeah. of heels. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that honestly annoyed me a little bit about the Dance of the Dragons is that you can again you can very clearly see this. This is not a greens versus blacks. This is the the rise and fall of the blacks and the greens are also here type type deal. It it, it bugged me a little bit. Uh, I well I I love it and but I part of it is that the the the, the greens are just are being run by quite frankly stupid people. Is that is that Aegon Aegon for for my money uh, is basically Theon as king. Is that he just no no even he, he even Theon as, could devise as, a good uh, plan. Oh okay wow um, yeah that's fair fair point is that no no, that, no. I just a- mean, like Aegon is, is a Renly like, Aegon is a Renly. I maintain Theon just because like he just goes from like you were never that great of a guy to man I hate you and oh wow I feel sorry for you but you got okay. what's coming to that- you. Well, I disagree that Theon had what's coming to him. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, no, not 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 to that yeah. level, but like at the same time, it's just like it's like yeah. Yeah, that that that's like saying that the the guy that cuts you off in traffic needs to be you know stung to death by a billion scorpions. It's like oh yeah, no 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 yeah no, that no. that that's a little too <laughs> that that went a little too oh yeah one hundred percent like what what happens to Theon is like so intense and like yeah that was brilliant on Martin's part of like saying like oh you really want Theon to suffer yeah I'll oh oh. Suffer. You want some bad stuff to happen to him, do you? Yeah, brilliant. So, so, but like Aegon, like immediately, like as as Ormond is like trying to consolidate, he's like, "You're dithering." Yep. You're dithering. Yeah. Win the war now. Yeah. It's like you're an idiot. Like, uh, grandson. Like, I'm trying, but first we need to make alliances. Yeah, no, and I mean, that's the thing, is that he's he's just a, a, a vain and petty man. He needs to enforce superiority. Yeah, and so 
And so that's one of the reasons why, like, like the Greens, there's only one person I like in the Greens. It's like, and like is a strong term, but like Prince Darren the Daring is like a decent guy, like a decent kid. And like, he's the only one that cries over Viserys dying. No, it wasn't until fire and blood, and then he decided to sack a town for giggles for no reason. Well, I mean, I understand it. It's war. It's war, and these things happen. But like, it it seemed gratuitous to me. Like, yes. it's like there's no, yes. like there was no, there was no lead out to it. Yeah. Well, you know, if he lost control of his men, that would be one thing, and you could play that up as his youth and inexperience. Yeah. But you know that. But I mean, well, like, but but he's interesting because like even though the, he's a dragon rider, he's clearly not an alpha, and like no one like when oh no like, when everyone when when Amond is dead, and like everyone believes Aegon the usurper is dead, they don't think of like oh Darren's our our, our prince and king now. No one yeah. thinks that, and that's yeah. why like the the two betrayers are like make their claims. Yeah no and and, and, and that's and Hammer, like for for. I gotta admire his chutzpah of like he puts on a crown right in front of Darren and it's like what the hell and he's like yep oh yeah I'm king yeah and he said that it was like oh yeah and you know what if you don't like it's like don't talk back to me I'm gonna give you a smack and it's like wait a minute you know I still remember the hedge knight when if you smacked a when if you smacked a uh, prince you yeah, lost that yeah. hand yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Hugh Hammer realized he was in a spot where no one could really question him until, you know, they actually ended up did, what was his name? Bold John Roxton ended up, yeah. uh... Yeah, killing him. But I mean, hey, you I mean, you, you push people far enough, they eventually push back. I mean, the commons in King's Landing showed that us up and up. But yeah, so then we we go to the early this early war. We have the Greens decide to go on a northern campaign to strike at the smaller holdings that Rhaenyra has on the continent and and these mostly they give up without a fight because they have no protection uh and you know there's two dragons there one of whom is the gigantic Vagar. um so but then you go to Rook's Rest. Griffin Cole's part a smart tactic oh yeah he ish and that like he's he's doing these to lure Rhaenyra into a trap obviously yeah and he knows because if you can kill Rhaenyra then the, the claim goes to Lucerus, who died, which then goes to um, no no Jace. no it goes to J- it, no Jake Jake is the elder. Oh yeah, you're right. Lucerus Lucerus is dead, and so you have Jake, and then Joff is still too young. I mean, he's not even knighted yet at this point. Yeah. Uh, so the only one you have is Jace, and Jace is, if I remember correctly, Jace is currently incommunicado. He's currently on his yeah. his his trip to Winterfell. Which so. Uh, I- I do think it's a bit a, a bit too much of on the nose hinting, but at the same time I love like it's like like what oh that that's absurd a, a Targaryen prince would fall in love with a with the, this a Stark girl and a bastard at that absurd no 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 yeah just, well mushroom just making that up sometimes Martin is not salt <laughs> <laughs> just that as let's, let's just admit it I mean we love the author sometimes he's just not very subtle. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so so I mean getting her and taking her out would be huge because at an at this well, yeah, early that, that stage early assassination a- attempt, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, early stage would rob the blacks of so much momentum 
that you could see a lot of the blacks would try to just kind of say, hey, let's jump ship and hope that Aegon doesn't bring the hammer down on us too hard. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, certainly if they got to him and say, we swear, you know, we'll, we, we raised the green dragon, you know, the gold dragon on green, maybe he would just let bygones be good. Maybe he'll take a hostage. Maybe he won't do anything too terrible if we go and we join his army and help him, you know, bring down the rest of the, uh, the traitors. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it doesn't work because they get, and I, you know, Damon can hem and haw about how he's the best dragon rider, but very clearly, Rhaenys, the queen who never was, was the best yeah. dragon rider on the black so, like, side, far yeah. none. Yeah, and that, and that, yes, she died, but that that she yeah, that she, she sold her life dearly. That 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 she was up against Vagar and Sunfire, and she fatally, like, severely maimed. The Sunfire, even yeah. against those odds, she didn't run away. She fought, fought yeah. bravely, and basically incapacitated the king. Yeah, in there was a, there's a historical um, historical thing in Japan. Uh, Ieyasu Tokugawa, before the Battle of Sekigahara, met with one of his 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 friends, and uh, that vassal was on the western side, and Tokugawa was on the eastern side. So he knew that. Uh, uh, Ishida Mitsunari um, would take that castle and he said, you know, I don't expect you to send relief effort for me. Um, you know, I just know that I will sell my life and I will sell it dearly. And that's exactly what Rainus did. She knew, you know, she knew the game was up. She, she knew yeah. she couldn't outrun him. And uh, so she just said, all right, well, we're just going to fight. Uh, you know, I'm going to fight and I'm going to see how much damage I can do. I mean, and, you know, to be honest, she wasn't going to be able to escape. So fighting at least gave her, I mean, a snowball's chance on hell is still better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she fought. She was able to maim severely Aegon II. So this, this whole early decapitation campaign almost became a reversed early decapitation. Although Aemond would have still been there and he would have actually been in the field. He would have been able to handle it a lot better than Jace would have. But still, I mean, she, she did very well. Yeah. Uh, to, to do what she did um, that put Aegon out of communication so uh, Aemon becomes protector of the realm so you oh, can kind of see that the, which the protector is like the of the realm stupidest thing ever and like okay we we, we, we glance over two things but uh, J one the death of, of Luke Valerian is oh, like yeah, yeah. it's such an amazing moment it shows one like Baratheon's like and the Greens like I know then immediately the the blacks then like stoop to even lower levels, but like, oh yeah, damn, like like Baratheon, that is so low of basically just like not of letting guest right like go away on on this BS technicality, and that I hate Aemon. I've said it before in this podcast. I'll say it again. He is my least favorite Targaryen. I despise him. I know people hate Daemon, but Aemon is even worse. Yeah. He is just total garbage garbage bratty kid mm. that, like, well, you mean, yeah killing, killing him yeah although my, yeah see i think luke the smarter thing for luke would have been would have been is to not have left to have taken advantage of guest right until yeah. aemon left but yeah i mean that didn't happen and then you had blood and cheese which was again monstrous and it's a it's a good yeah, indication that, of how yes, quickly 
yeah, how quickly like both the blacks and the greens, and this is why I think, you know, these, they've always, you know, Aegon and Rhaenyra have always been terrible people from the get-go, is how quickly it ramps down into just atrocity territory. Yeah. Um, um, it's just, you know, I mean, they, they hit turbo. I mean, there's nitrous in this, in this ride because it goes immediately. There's yeah. no gradual ramping up of, you know, of just terrible things, which, I mean, that could have been a great story if you wanted to make a full Dance of the Dragons novel would be, you know, you, your, um, your protagonists and your antagonists start off, they observe these chivalric rites, they let people go, they let people bury their dead and so on and so forth. You know, these honorable things. And as the stakes yeah. escalate, they get worse and worse and worse. And that, that'd be a cool novel, but that was not the way this was told. And I was a little saddened by that because that's what I would have liked. No, I, 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 I loved it. I, I loved it just because like that immediately just makes it clear what, what game they're playing and just how it's this just each, each side continually sinks lower and lower. And just like how this war is the dark ages, it's just all everything falling apart. And it's just, it's amazing, honestly, that Westeros survives the dance of the dragons, quite frankly, because it's just like it seems like everything. I think when we when we end this and we get to the next episode with the the Regency, we will definitely talk about that more. Yes, and so, but I mean, first off, like once to to mildly defend the Blacks only slightly, I'll say this: like when when Lord Baratheon lets that happen, when the Greens do that, that is already a clear cut sign. That is the that is the first that is clearly like okay. There are no rules now. Like there is no code of chivalry. Like everything is fair game. Like and once at you do the that, same that, time though, and if like you're going even, to revenge even yourself Ormond on Hightower, that. Even Ormond Hightower like said that was stupid. Oh even yeah, no. Wait, it, like that was like colossally stupid. Yeah, and Aegon the Second really failed by not punishing uh, his brother for that. But m- yeah. my thing is, is and uh, this but, but is yes, kind of that being said, of course, like that 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 is one like. That kind of like that is not at all proportionate response. That is monstrous. Yeah, and and not I, only I that, say that, but like, you can kind Rhaenyra of see Damon didn't. Rhaenyra probably didn't foresee how they were gonna handle blood and cheese. Were gonna handle that order. I disagree. She knew. Well, she knew from the get go. Uh, I don't. But one that's a bit da- too much. Damon. Damon said. Yeah, Damon said an eye for an eye and a son for a son. Yes, that. So I, I believe, like, yeah, kill one of Aegon's kids. But I didn't think... But I believe, like, she didn't expect the whole Sophie's Choice situation to happen. Yeah. And the thing so, that I... I think you see the hand of Damon here, the kind of... The, the terrible, awful, awful, like, crappy parts of Damon. Yes. Is when he's very clearly doing it to hurt to hurt someone, but he's also not striking someone who could who could fight back. You know, it's... <laughs> It's it, yeah. he's not holding he's not going after Amond he's not going after Boros he's not going after any of these people who could no he is specifically going for someone that is defenseless and yeah. you know at, at that point it's like you're not even holding the people responsible anymore it's this whole idea of you know justice versus vengeance it's Damon isn't looking for justice Damon is looking to hurt others the way he was hurt and well, this is why of, Martin's a good writer is that he doesn't believe in like he understands this this kind of draw for vengeance, but what is vengeance and like what does that mean? 
Well, it's yeah, all... and it's it's one of the central theory, one of the central tenets of the novel is this idea of justice versus vengeance. I mean, you see it in Robert's Rebellion, yeah. you see it with Daenerys, you see it with all of these folks. Yeah. And so. And so, yes, the. And the fate of of Aegon and Helena's kids, it's all just so awful. And but then again, so is what what happens to Rhaenyra's kids, and poor uh. a. And and we'll we'll talk about it more, but like I'll say it right now, just a, a poor Prince Aegon the Younger. It's it's like he is truly the unlucky. Of, of of yes, of that his first time really riding a dragon is this horrific dragon fight where he seemingly abandons his brother to die, and then his dragon dies. Yeah, and, and it's worse because there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. What's his, his dragon Stormcloud, if I remember correctly? And yes. Stormcloud, Stormcloud was barely big enough for Aegon to ride, so you know yeah. there's no no way that he's going to take uh, young Viserys with him. Well, he tries to, but like it's just like he, he they get yeah. separated, and yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like even even if they had actually gotten to the deck and they said let's take off, uh, you know, Viserys and Aegon would have been gotten on that dragon, and the dragon would just been like, eh, no, yeah. it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that would have been an extra twist of the knife. But, uh, yeah. but so then we see the dragon seas. So when, you know, after, I mean, this is where you see actually Jace come into his own. This is where he makes yeah. a really good move. Because when um, when the queen who never was dies, this enrages the Valarians. Yes. Uh, and so Jace really understands that he needs to salvage this situation really quickly. So he does that by placating, uh, he, he placates uh, Corliss, yeah. and then he says, well, we need to we need to go and get more dragons, because we lost one of our, our best dragon rider, Vagar is still out in the field, we need to be able to press our advantage because we do not have the manpower, we need to be able to deploy dragons to different theaters. So he comes up with this dragon seed program, yeah. and this is actually really useful because for one, a lot of these people wouldn't have had very much in the social advancement. So yeah. if any one of them gets a dragon, they are indebted to Jace specifically for being able to advance them to this status that they could have never even dreamed of in their wildest imaginations. Uh, and it cements his advantage. And, and a little cynically here, if... Uh, a couple of peasants die trying to tame a dragon. It's really no significant loss to the black cause. <laughs> I mean, yes. it, it really isn't. I mean, they lose, however. Well, they do willingly lose a couple volunteer of, also. It's, yeah, so but everyone kind of knows that. But they so. do lose a couple of uh, people that do try to tame them. They lose a couple of, I mean, I think as a Kingsguard knight. They lose a couple of other prominent knights. Uh, Alan Oakenfist nearly dies until Adam, yeah. Adam is able to save them. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, the, not necessarily the most glorious beginning to the Oakenfist saga, but he will he will be yeah. able to do it better. Yeah, he'll he'll get over it pretty quickly. Um, well, no, like in the Dance of the Dragons, he then basically gets to later on humiliate Aegon, like, and he's clearly become this gigantic power player during the war. Even in yep. that, in that, like, clearly, like, they have to appease. We're, we're going getting ahead, but like, and I said in the Aegon, the second episode, it was like clearly like until Corliss told his son slash grandson to back off, it was just like clear 
he's about to invade us. So, like, you better free Corliss and tell him to behave. Otherwise, yeah. like, he's about to attack. Oh, yeah, no, the sea snake, That I mean, yeah, when we get to the ending of the dance, we'll have some fun stuff to talk about the sea snake and the uh, the poisonings and all that other fun stuff. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, this this dragon seed plan, this is this is a good move for Jace's part. Now, part of the problem that doesn't, that makes me reluctant to say that he would have been a good ruler after this is that it's very, very easy to promise things when you're going to be getting them later in Conquest. It's a lot harder to manage unruly vassals when you can't take a fief from someone for whatever reason or another, you know, in a war, in a successful conquest, you get to, you know, apportion the prizes to your feudal overlords. You take them away from those who are your enemies. It's a lot harder to do in peacetime. And he's giving away a lot for this. Now, yes. Well, but this is circumstances, circumstances of war. So, yeah, so yes. desperate circumstances, he needs to give it away. But you know, that, that means, you know, his hand is forced. So I'm reluctant yes. to say he would have been a, a very judicious, king in peacetime because you know he's being forced into desperate cir- uh, circumstances so he's shining here but we should not take that as an endorsement that he would have been a great king there's just not enough information true enough uh, i i see great potential he's kind of in that regar and um Balon, the the um prince balor the breakspear i'm just like i see the potential Mm. And, I, don't, uh, I don't. I wouldn't I go the, as far the, as Baylor Breakspear. He's too good. Yeah. Yes. Um. I think the fly in the ointment, though, for me is is the Sarah Snow rumors. That kind of says like, ooh, but you got that kind of Rhaegar reckless stupidity in you. And again, that is. And then we we don't have the full measure of it, so we don't know exactly what's going on. Hence, why I just say we need more information. And I don't want to. I don't want to rule one way or another. It's yeah. just it's too nebulous, too nebulous. Yeah. So then um, I think it's also like theoretically it makes sense for what you were saying for loyalty, but it's also really risky. And later on, it the risk demonstrates yeah. what happens yeah. is that like you just given risk, like yes. a humongous amount of power of military superpower to people that like you better hope and pray they are loyal to you. Yeah. And the problem is, is that while they do have dragon riders, you know, when you start seeing with Hugh the Hammer and Ulf the White, you have, you know, you start to see that, uh, you know, these established dragon riders start dropping like flies. You know, you have Jace die in the next battle that we're going to talk yeah. about. And, you you know, spoiler alerts. <laughs> but, well, I mean, uh, you, you know, said it right there. Yeah. And that's also in defense of, of Game of Thrones. It's just like Mar- Martin writes twice in in fire and blood just randomly dragons dying of just like queen rainies and prince jake just randomly die of like what what yeah i mean you know he he dies in the battle of the gullet this huge naval battle and apparently i mean at least you know they say the different sources some say that they were able to get him with a ship grapnel some say they were able to get him with a crossbow or you know whatever it is he gets tangled up in some rigging and drowns uh, yeah. Well, no, he, no, he doesn't drown. Uh, the dragon drowns, and he like founders about, and then they, you know, turn him into a pincushion. Um, but you know, so now Jace is dead in this battle of the gullet. Yeah. Um, and the, the the greens eventually win. They take a lot of damage, uh, but they eventually win. And this is really bad for the blacks because now you're their next well, no, heir. The, the, the blacks won that battle, but it's like it's the definition of pyrrhic victory, where it's like 
Well, we won, but it doesn't feel like we won because oh, yeah. Jake. Well, no, uh, did, didn't the green yeah. the greens were still able to sack Spice Town though, right? Yeah, they did. Right? Yeah, okay, they yeah, did. That... So, yeah, they okay, did that yeah. first, and so, so then like Gullet Town was the reprisal. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mix those two up. But yeah, but I mean, it's just yeah, you see that this is just not a great, you know, not a great uh, victory for you know this is not great for the Blacks because now their next heir is Joffrey, and Joffrey's not even knighted yet. Yeah. I mean, no, he's 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 eager. He's yes. very eager. But uh, he yeah, is. And Rhaenyra has to like calm him down. Say no, no, no. So that means she has to increasingly rely on the dragon seeds. Which yeah. I mean, if there's someone like Nettles who is personally loyal to Damon, uh, that might be okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you know, when you start to see with Hugh, Hugh the Hammer and Ulf the White, where they were really more. I mean, if they felt any sort of personal loyalty, it would have been to Jace because he was the one that was able to help them out. I mean, well, you know, I'm saying these guys. Like, I mean, these guys were jerks, so they may not have felt loyal even either way. Even but they that, certainly are. It's, yeah. it's clearly though, though that like they've just been given dragons, and they're obviously ambitious. And in this time where everything's burning, they're like, "Let me pick up the, the yeah. burning." So, burning yeah, path. and you'll see. And you'll see that even later, but she, she's being forced to increasingly rely upon these less than loyal subjects because they're the only ones she has because she lost Jace. You know, Damon is out in the field, so she has well, to rely on them. Half of the dragon so, seeds were loyal. Nettles yeah. and Nettles and, and Adam are yeah. totally loyal. And that's good. When you have Adam and Nettles, you're all right. But then, yeah. you know, you, you also have Hugh and Ulf and... Um, that that's when it gets tougher. But as you know, as long as the uh, loyalists, the competent loyalists, outnumbered the less than loyal, you could maybe think about just at the very least the gentle pressure of maybe we shouldn't try anything because we'll probably end up dead working in their favor. But as yeah. you know, as these loyal ones keep dropping, or you know, then the the betrayers start seeing that well, hey, maybe I can start commanding a a, pr a pretty price for my loyalty. Yeah, which they do immediately once. Rhaenyra takes King's Landing is like they want like they want big lordships okay. and but and there's also like these suggestions of like well since now that you're queen can you change like laws of inheritance in general and she says no and some people see this as hypocrisy I defended her as saying like no 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 she recognizes that one she's an exception and two she's already like on thin ice she can't alienate all of the lords yeah by, I mean and by, she by, she by hasn't King even won the war yet. Yeah, I mean, no, well, that, that, that's it seemed pretty compelling that she was was not only winning, but like that theoretically she had not won, but like she was like definitely like it's clearly like, all right, she's in charge now. And yeah, but you never you never you never put it, in, you know, you, you never stop the car until you're over the checker, you know, until you've got the checkered flag. Yeah, you can't. I mean, and, and she knew that she wasn't because. She even said that she was going to continue the war against the Lannisters yes. and the Baratheons. Um, then we have, you know, the in the, in the Western Which, theater, we have the, Leon. You know, like that, that also is like when Corliss says, "Okay, one like uh, Allison stupidly says, like we can divide the realm now that you're here." Is like, which is like, no, of course that's not going to happen. Like plainly, that's not going to happen. But then like Corliss says, "Okay, issue pardons," and she's yeah. like, "No, that's not happening either." Yeah. Which, and and that's yeah that's a big problem because if the this is something I've always criticized Rhaenyra for is that if the 
the people that you're fighting against have no reason to believe that they're survived, they're going to try They're going to at least go down swinging. There's no reason not to. So by not issuing uh, pardons and reconciling the enemy powers back into their uh, into the fold, she is pursuing the war and squandering her advantage. You know, it, not quite Renly levels of squandering advantage, but it's close. <laughs> well, it's really her it's, paranoia think, that squanders her advantage. It is, and um, as Mushroom says in her defense, it's basically that she feels she feels that she's been so betrayed that she has become paranoid as a result of this. And yeah, but the problem is, is that so she, she this, attacks this the most actually, loyal, yes, loyal yes. member. Yes, I don't defend her for that. It's that that she that her paranoia makes her see enemies out of her allies, which is a gigantic, gigantic mistake. But I see mistake where that's compared to like other people see sin i see mistake so i mean i i see is i mean again first off uh i can't really defend the nettles the nettles one because she's a guest right i mean that's the most one of the most sacred things in westeros and she is demanding that the mutants uh you know receive rescind it yeah and, and and murder her in there i mean not even rescind it it's one thing to, to kick them out and say you're no longer protected in my hold no they're saying hey when she's going sleeping you know you you tie her up and stab her yeah and, yes but it's like yeah that well hey that's too, too i can actually that one i can kind of defend in this much it's like when your significant other is involved in it there are many ways you respond to adultery and sometimes not healthy but i mean rain rain or i mean no you can't you can't say that i mean and i mean you had to know it was coming with damon so i mean i i can't really defend that because again it's it's this guest right is so sacred to westerosi culture it's yes. really what stops what stops them from everybody just sitting at home and putting a crossbow at the door and you you need these these social fabrics to actually help build the society and it's one of when these things are rejected in such a way it really dampens the whole it's for a white flag if you attack under a white flag then future white flags are no longer honored so you have people who yeah. are trying to surrender who get butchered yes and you know yes. that's a very 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 bad thing mm-hmm. well in, in my opinion mm-hmm. well Rhaenyra also does though she she gets a bad deck when she gets into king's landing because tyland lannister smartly hides away all the money yeah. And so that's that. I think it was the so Spanish to, Civil War. Yeah, there uh, the, the, the gold thing. reserves for the Republicans yeah. were he, were hidden by the Soviets, and the Soviets just didn't give them back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was smart smart of him to do so. You you always want to make sure that the 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 hard currency you have is kept safe in a time of war if you're in an exposed position. And so that's what forces Rhaenyra to impose help the also that which make people stop loving her. Well, that and also she used all of the taxes to throw a big old party for Joffrey. You know, it's well, they, they they people were very I mean, it's one thing to be taxed during a time of war, but it's another thing to be taxed. 
flagrantly decadent. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, Octavian and Antony having an orgy in the middle of a famine. Yes, I do understand, yes, how that's not good optics. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, just... the, that also, though, is, is part of her, like, well, now I'm in charge, so now I'm consolidating. This is my heir. But yes, that's not a good... It's not a yeah, good that, sign. Yes, I, yeah, I am that, a black. I do, I do recognize faults. I do recognize faults, people. I'm not like blindly, like some kind of like Ricardian worshiping like for Rhaenyra of like Rhaenyra did nothing wrong. Like no, she definitely did some things yeah, wrong. The, the Saint, the Saint Rhaenyra guys. Yeah, no. Oh yeah, hell no, 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 man, no. Are there no, such no, things? I mean, there's, there's. I've, I've, I've met a couple. That was bigger. That was a lot more bigger in the early parts when, um, what do you call it? when Princess and the Queen first came out. OK, yeah. Um, you know, now now that this, you know, we've had years to discuss and dissect and we've got fire and blood in the world book. And uh, I think most I mean, most at least from the consensus I get, most people are blacks supporters, but they they aren't they don't. There's no Rhaenyra did nothing wrong type. I mean, no. at least. But I mean, you know, that's just the polling I see. Again, I'm I'm in the camp of a pox on both your houses. I'm team giant <laughs> meteor. Yeah, um, I've heard your. Yeah. Um, but Jim, you also forget like one of the reasons why she becomes paranoid about Nettles and Adam, both wrong decisions, by the way, 100% yeah. wrong. But it's because of the the two betrayers. The, the trees, that. the trees in a Tumbleton, yeah. Tumbleton, and like that, it's like Tumbleton is like that's a green victory, but it's just like it's the biggest slaughter. It's so horrible. It is so. Oh yeah. This, and it's the worst sacking and. What they do to Tumbleton is just unforgivable. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 really bad, and that was actually one of the things. I mean, I mentioned before how I would liked it if we had started with a, a relatively chivalrous war that got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think yeah. that would have been a great tipping point because not only do you have treason, but then you have atrocity on it, and then it really underlines how bad the war has gotten. Yeah. But no, I mean, I definitely understand the paranoia. The issue is, of course, is that. You know, Hugh Hammer's crimes are not Adam Valerian's crimes. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, and is is that when she's dealing with this by alienating these other, she's really losing. She's squandering the advantage that she has, yes. which was her yes. her number of dragon riders. And yes, yeah, that's what's happening, and that, that's why it's like she's a tragic character, and I can sympathize with the tragic character. But you still like, but you're making these mistakes. I understand why you're making these mistakes, but you're making these mistakes. And so being paranoid about Adam Valerian just and then she ends up in. Uh, she imprisons Adam and then Adam is freed by Corliss. So then, of course, Corliss is yeah. arrested. But then arresting Corliss means like Valerians go bye bye. Yeah. And then, you know, just trying like, to arrest can't... Nettie. Yeah. And yeah. Then, you know, you arrest Nettie and then that that I mean, Damon doesn't leave. The, yeah. the blacks, but at the, I mean, very clearly at this point, he doesn't want to live anymore. He's he's going to go suicide by cop, essentially against Vega. But if you go suicide by cop, what a way to go out! And for oh, all my, my my quibbles with with Damon, my problems with him, one that he got to out, off Amond puts him pretty high in my book for that. And what a way to what a way oh, to yeah. go. Out. Yeah, his final scene was boss. His final scene was definitely boss. Oh, HBO, please do that scene justice. That is just, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm worried about that because that sounds like something that they're going to overuse green screen on. Yeah, 
Well, we'll see how it's done. That's yeah, a little so bit biased at animation, but yeah. Yeah, and then, but then after you know this, after this whole thing, you know, you see all of these people. This is when the really interesting small folk agency starts to happen. Yeah, is when the the, the people start to rise up. I mean, certainly they're angry at the taxes, but they're also in. I mean, they say this in the books. They're afraid. They've they've been living under a constant mental yeah. strain day in and day out, and that that really taxes on them. And so. They took comfort where they could find. You see this with a lot of uh, populations under siege. Uh, they'll take comfort in plenty of things. Now, that could be religion. That could be alcohol. That could be all sorts of things that just help give a sense of comfort or numb yeah. the sense of fear that's yeah. going on. In and, and certainly I understand that. I mean, there's been plenty of, you know, and per, for, for any writers who are listening – putting that sort of element into your books is actually a very good idea because it makes the books feel more natural. Yeah. But then you see uh, the shepherd. Is, is that the, shepherd. the shepherd. And it's just this amazing thing. It's and history rhymes of just like, just like the high sparrow of just like this. Yeah. It's raw populist energy that's been untapped by either side finally mm -hmm. gets tapped by the shepherd, at least yep. in King's Landing. Well, that's just I, the, the I, I concentration of people is high enough, yeah. yeah. But just like it's – and he is able to tap into this. And then the riots come out for basically Princess Helena's mysterious death, which her death I do think genuinely was suicide personally, and suicide because of the horrible fate of Prince Maelor. Yeah, but, I, I but, could see I could see that perhaps maybe in the – what do you call it? Um, maybe the chaos of what was going on in King's Landing, maybe a minder or a guard or something was called away. And so that she was able to actually have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. I can see that, that, that makes sense. Again, you know, George loves to just leave things ambiguous to have fans debate over it. He knows, he knows how fandom works. He's been in this <laughs> game a long time. Yeah. Although Chloe also put out the there and I could believe this Laris Clubfoot being doing his his Varus thing of just being in in the city sowing chaos yep i mean certainly i mean i could see him seeing helena as essentially uh worthless except for the chaos that her death would bring and then so he would do it i mean yeah. all all of that again it's all well, believable it's like, it's like Varus killing killing um spoilers but yeah killing um poor kevin lannister and grandmaster pycelle just to sow more chaos uh, there's a lot of a lot of adjectives i could use for grandmaster pycelle and poor is not one of them well <laughs> yeah, yeah true enough true enough but yes um yeah. i only say poor because it's still just like to go out that way though it seems kind of like ooh, that's bad oh oh yeah no that's that's bad um but yeah. then we have we have this chaos and it it ends up being one of the most climactic events in the Targaryen era. I mean, you know, yeah. this whole, and this is this whole this series is, is the Targaryen era because you you have I mean you have the shepherd, you have a couple of other notables, the burning knight, you have a couple of names, but I mean, this is very clearly a mob. So yeah. who's who is essentially irrelevant. So you have these nameless people that are actually bringing in this era where the the dragon pit is stormed, and the dragons die. Yeah. Well, now, just, not all of them. Because of this but... war is basically that the people have firmly rejected the Targaryens now. 
of like it's yes. just like not it's not just like Rhaenyra, although Rhaenyra is definitely like a focal point. It really is just straight up the dragons themselves. Like that's what the that's what the shepherd talks about. It's like it's just the dragons themselves are these hell spawn, and the Targaryens are like these demons. Yep. So so get rid of them all. Yep. And you can you can see that as the these the strong element of fear is, is placed onto something that is physical or that you can see, and because Rhaenyra has been oppressing them, and because the Aegon and Rhaenyra have been responsible for the Dance of the Dragons, which has caused so much death, so much injury, so much famine. All of this, so you can see them very clearly tr- uh, projecting the fear that they have, and I'm not saying that it's unjustifiable fear. Yeah. They see this fear is being projected onto them, and so they go. And I mean, a lot of it, you know, call it the the bravery from people who feel like they have nothing left to lose. Call it the strength of the mob. Call it whatever you want, but they really I, do. I call they, it they what st- Mushroom calls it of just being caught up in hysteria of this drunken, mad hysteria that you need oh. to lash out. Whatever the name is, you can't yeah. deny its consequence. It's that it's yep. it end. I mean, four dragons die in Dragon Pit. Uh, Joffrey trying to suppress. Poor Joffrey. The, um, well, yeah, that's uh, what's crazy. You, you'd never think you'd hear. Poor Joffrey. <laughs> well, um, no, no, I mean, I've read the I've read the Purple Wedding chapter, and if you, I mean, you can feel yeah, a little bit for, yeah. for him there, but yeah. Yes. But yeah, no. Joff, Joffrey Valerian decides that well, if if my mother's not going to do something, I am. Yeah. But of course, you know, his his you know just like Icarus, his ambition exceeded his grasp. Yeah. And he ends up dying. Again, there's not a horse. And, yes. You know, and then just after that, I think very not very long after that is when you get um, the uh, and so the, the second battle of Tumbleton. Yes, well that well that well that's when Rhaenyra finally must abandon. Yeah. King's Landing, and she she watches un, and she's lost in her mind her fifth son this yep. one year, and couple yep. that with her with her daughter, she's lost six children in one year. Actually, no. Fifth son, I think it's only fourth because Aegon is still alive. Yeah. Well, well, no, she thinks. Oh, yeah, I messed it up. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. in her she mind, did, she, she lost her four yeah. of her five sons. Yeah. Yep, she's lost all but one son, and, and um, yep, and her uh, her very recently stillborn daughter. Oh, and so, also, I mean, there's also I a bit see... where you can actually mushroom really is an important character, and this is where you can kind of hate mushroom. In that he basically let Joffrey die. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that. Uh, yeah. I mean that, like, that's Joffrey. That, I wonder though if that's not Mushroom just self-inserting himself into the most climactic members, uh, you know, records of history. I think that is yeah. that. I I think that did happen because like. Okay. And that's like and that shows like even though he he liked Rhaenyra and defends her, he still at the same time is like yeah, but she she even lost me. She even lost me. She even alienated no, I mean, me by the end. That, I mean, and and could that could also be metaphorical in that he, you know, I mean, you're, as you say, it could be a true story, but it could be metaphorical. This is how much she lost me. I killed her son. Well, I yeah. let him die, but I let him die. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's wow, that's amazing. So because she also loses Damon, Nettle, Nettle is is gone. Um, yeah. And if you believe this, off, the, if you believe the, the theory, yeah, she goes to the Vale and becomes a. a a chieftain of one yeah. of the clans, you know, if you believe that theory, but, and then, you know, you have the second 
where I mean now Joffrey or uh, Adam Valerian is yeah. dead. So yeah. she has she has no more dragon riders. But but she has, Adam Valerian also just what a way to go out and just oh yeah completely Alan right, rightfully carves on his tombstone loyal. And like wow what a guy like even oh, yeah, though no. like even though his his queen like tried to tried to arrest him he still like proves his loyalty to his queen. And that right there, that moment also, like, like you said earlier, it's like, even though the Greens theoretically have this opportunity of like, oh, now we're in power, one, like, they're, they're divided within themselves of that, like, that the two betrayers of that Hugh Hammer has delusions of grandeur. And although maybe not so, because he does have the best dragon now. Well, I mean, and I think it's interesting because, yeah, uh, and you get that that kind of Renly is nihilism yeah. of, of just like that. Well, hey, what was Aegon at the end of the day? He was a conqueror. He was just a guy with a dragon, and I'm a guy with yeah. a dragon. I got the best dragon, so I'm king. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's great because, as you say, Adam Valerian kills the Greens' chances to actually come out of this with a victory, with a big yeah. V. I mean, yeah. they they get you know they get this kind of weird consolidated diplomatic thing. Where Aegon the Third, you know, uh, Aegon the Third well, is the the king, or the is the future king, but that's the Blacks' victory. But Aegon the Second is is mentioned as the rightful king, and that's the kind of the green victory. This is kind of again a weird thing, but it's it's reference to uh, Henry the to to what is it uh, Stephen of Blois and yeah, uh, Henry. Of, uh, yeah, well, what the whole Dance of the Dragons is based on or inspired yeah, by. Yeah, the anarchy. Yeah, it's the anarchy. I need to read more about it. It sounds fascinating. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so then you have... So this is exactly as you say. This is when Rhaenyra says... This is this is her nodder. Well, no, it's not her nodder. She actually gets... A, she actually finds a way to take it, you know... She hits rock bottom, but somebody tosses her a yeah. shovel anyway. Yeah. But she, she, has to, she has to sell her crown. Yes. The crown of, of, her, of, of a king... Just yeah. to, yeah, so, just to so pawn just, it. Yeah, and so that's, also great, that's a Daenerys you know, reference, yeah. Yeah, here's a, yeah, that was a great reference. But here's also a great for want of a nail kind of moment. And I pointed out in our in our other episode, if she had just gone to White Harbor instead of Dragonstone, she would still be queen. She would have won the war. If she had went north instead of Dragonstone... She would have survived. And just so depends amazing. Depends on where she has to land. It depends on where she has to land. But I well, mean, I could see. I well, could no, see like, it if she could, if she could get to White Harbor. Well, well, no, like it was. It was like White like Harbor said, "Come to us. Like we got an army. We're about like these fresh troops are about to come. Like this war is." Oh no, fought. I mean, I mean, just that it's a long distance. She yeah, has fair. to get there first. Yeah, fair enough. But like, if she had just gone there instead of Dragonstone, of this idea of. It's kind of mad, but also fair idea of like more dragon eggs, more dragon hatches. We can still get our power back from there. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, you know, she wants to go back to Dragonstone because that's a safe place. A naval yeah. landing is so difficult, but that's where Laris Clubfoot comes in. And, you know, he, he Laris Clubfoot's up the whole thing is that he just says, you know, I'm going to attack you in the place where you least suspect and take well, yeah, it. Like you, and you hide. Where do you hide a king in the place no one expects to look for him? Yeah, I mean, he really did. Spe- nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition on <laughs> Rhaenyra. Yeah. Just like you. There's hide really him. no other way to put it. 
Yeah. Uh, although Bela Targaryen awesomely further wounds and maims him and basically yep. cripples Aegon yep. Usurper and yeah, she's Bela the Brave in my book. Yeah, and she married. Yeah, no, and she got into yeah. a wild, tempestuous marriage later with Ellen. So yeah. Yeah, great. And character. if I remember correctly, so she melted actually his armor into his into his skin. No, that was Rainey's. Oh, that was Rainey's. Okay. Yeah, like that's uh, one of the reasons I, I, why. Uh, I mean, I know he was he was hideously injured. I can't remember exactly which which injury goes where, but it was yeah. like you know his he had gold like gold melting into flesh and all kinds of nasty yeah. stuff with blisters and yeah, yeah all the, that well, all that grossness. Well, his battle with Bela is what what he breaks his legs and they they never heal from there. Yeah, and he also makes it a policy. And this is the only thing where where Evan and I were able to marginally sympathize with him is that he is in agonizing pain for the rest of his life and he and the only yeah. and he chooses not to take milk of the poppy because that basically incapacitates him so he just gets drunk to deal with the pain all the time and so he's just in seething agony and i do believe the mushroom myth like whispers also i believe he was also probably impotent not that hard to imagine oh you mean afterwards I yeah mean, after oh yeah no after oh, he, he definitely yeah, yeah he, he definitely would have would have taken some uh, some injuries to the jewels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can see where he gets his more vindictive. You know, I mean, the thing is, if he wasn't vindictive, I could see him becoming vindictive because of the pain. But no, he's always been kind of oh, yeah, just always tra- tra- trashy from from the beginning. Yeah. Well, that's why I, I say like. I as a metaphor, Theon, of just like that, you you were always kind of like this, but like, man, like, ooh, this just exacerbates it. Yeah, but so, like, I mean, he comes he comes back in, in, in triumph, and this is kind of the part of the dance that I really don't like, uh, is the, uh, the sudden, hey, Boros Baratheon now moves, but is beaten by the Blacks, who are led by a bunch of prepubescent boys, and it's like, I really... I love that because okay, one Boris Baratheon sitting out the war basically the entire time is is just magnificent in and of itself. Um, I kind of want to go sideways and talk about a little fan theory I have during the Moon of Madness that we didn't talk about. Okay. King, King's Landing is in chaos, and when when Aegon II returns, he immediately like arrests Tristane Truefire, who brief who sat on the Iron Throne for a month. And okay. Like, yeah, like, I, was, not... I was gonna do that the whole thing in the consolidation afterwards, but we can do it now. Yeah, but like, uh, like Viserys, like you, yeah, like no, you're not Viserys's bastard son. Like you're not. Shut up. Mm-hmm. And and then like, can I at least be knighted? Yeah, sure. But then you're losing your head. Yeah, and and I could see that just as a uh, maybe maybe uh, Aegon realized that he was kind of swept up in the whole thing and like Perkin the flea and these other guys were, were kind of using him and kind of strong armed him into it. But he was also an adult and he clearly knew, you know, that he he could try to get out of it, what he was doing. It's not not like Gaiman pale hair. Who's five. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Gaiman is a kid. And here's my, my fan theory. I've posted it on Reddit before. I think Gaiman was Aegon's kid. I totally think like, like Aegon was a known womanizer. Like, mm-hmm. like, and in all accounts, he is not with his wife when they offer the crown to him. Yep. So I can totally believe he begat a bastard. 
and also it's just that that he went to the trouble of torturing uh Gaiman's mother to have her confess confess in quotes that Gaiman mm-hmm. wasn't Aegon's kid I think really does show like oh, oh. Well, I think I think that's kind of standard practice in dynastic uh, yeah, societies yeah. because yes. because you need to delegitimize it. So I can understand just by doing, you know, just that would not be on its own. Um, I just think that it's it's open enough that I like the entertaining of the theory because he yeah. then becomes well, yeah. a war a ward of the crown. Well, then the but the big other clue to me, I think, is that Aegon the Third says like when the question of who would be your heir if you died, he he points to Gaiman. Yeah, no, so you know that being, one. Th- that yeah. I don't think that's him. Like, yes, it's like, yes, he's my friend, and but like, and they also gives the official justification, like, well, he was already hailed as king, and he's popular. But I think it's also like, yeah, he's my cousin. Like, I'm not gonna no, say it on that, that, but he's my cousin. That one I like more, uh, more than the the you know he got he, he tortured his her mother to death to make sure that that was de- delegitimized. Like, I think that's just standard medieval business as usual. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, the the. The support of him. Uh, the only thing that puts me against that is that Aegon was so traumatized that having any friend would be worth so much to him, even a kingdom. Yeah. So that that's what True what, what prevents me from. So, but I mean, again, you know, I think that's just specifically that's Martin building, you know, throwing something out there to have the fans discuss. Like I said, he knows that's how true. fandom works. He knows. Yeah. He knows that people like to discuss things, so he always yeah. wants to throw out a little couple of nuggets. Whether it was whether it's the 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 letter that uh, the Martells sent to Aegon the Conqueror or or what have you, he always wants to throw yeah. a couple of nuggets out there so that people can discuss things. How did Balerion ba- get wounded? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So. So consolidating, I love this part because this is something that the princess and the queen like really misled you uh, is that you think that when when Aegon takes the crown back and takes King's Landing back well that's kind of the end of the Dance of the Dragons that's not the end of the Dance of the Dragons at all that's just like then like the north kind of finally is showing up and also the river lords like rally together and, and a- Aegon repeats the same error that Rhaenyra had had yeah. where he does not offer terms of and of reconciliation and pardon and that's so, why again, like i love that that like that's why the river lords like all bandy together because it's like it's like what we're not getting pardons it's like oh oh crap then no 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 yeah i just don't like the just like oh wow you know boros boros chokes it's another it's another big green you know another green battle that just is end up being a choke job and in a, in a war that has so many just you know greens choke inexplicably again well but the greens always have. have this the greens always have this hubris to them and i like that that lord baratheon like this grasping kind of one of the worst baratheons of all time is just like just so presumptive that he's going to beat these little kids that that he underestimates them and bloody ben also what a character of just like this as they say like he's this four he's this like 12 year old but he has like the maturity and like the scars of a of a 12 year old of that he's kind of gone through this the horrors of war like he's kind of like Aegon the third of like he's been scarred by this experience um, like my, like, my problem like with that, that, that a 12 year old can be a hardened battle, battle commander is horrifying 
like for me, that just that just strains. I mean, I I've re- you know I've studied history, especially military history, and I know plenty of young conquerors, but I don't think I've ever read one that was twelve. I mean, I've heard of a Safavid commander, but I mean, he was not uh, he was not uh, you know directly in the field. He was. I think it's kind of assumed that historiographies kind of wrote him into the field as a young as a young conqueror, but he was not ex- actually. That well, but, but 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 how can you then be okay with Darren being fourteen when he conquers Dorne? Oh, I'm well. I mean, for one, uh, for one, he is actually a teenager and has gone through puberty. That's that does help. Okay. But uh, also, I mean, and let's be honest. Also, with Martin, this is a big thing. A lot of his characters need to be aged up a couple of years. A okay. lot of them. There, I mean. I suppose that's what HBO did. Yeah, I I I shouldn't be too mad about a 12-year-old being a military commander if a 12-year-old is having kids. Uh, Germ. Oh, George. George R. R. Martin. Uh, I mean, but yeah, no. Ancient World did have stuff like that happen, though. Yeah, but that was... That was the the exception, not the norm. I mean, just in... We need... Like... I would, if that is one thing I could change about the thing, is I would age up some people just to just to get out a little bit of the gross factor. Fair enough. And so this is where I love that what goes around comes around. Karma of that that Aegon like had even more than Rhaenyra, I would say. Although now Rhaenyra definitely did worse, but Aegon has burned so many bridges. Yep. And like. It, and like when he comes to the region, like, please save me. And just that wonderful, subtle diss of like, I can't command armies. I am only a woman. And and, uh, and, Corliss, yeah. and, and Corliss, like, he keeps on like, he, he kept on trying to save this kid that he didn't like. I'm just like, it's like, your grace, please offer pardons. No. Oh, your grace. Yeah. Like, p- please, like, marry like declare Aegon Aegon the Younger your heir and and marry her to your daughter so we can just re- end this war. No. Yeah, it's, it's like please win this war for me. Okay, here you go. No. And, and, <laughs> that, that's that, that's exactly the sea snake. Yeah. Please win this war for me, but I won't do any of the things you tell me to. <laughs> yeah, and, and everything he offers is smart and like reasonable and just like and so basically it's like it's completely justified that he betrays him because it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And like, then you have, yeah. I mean, and so many people get into that poisoning plot too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's really like, it's an Ocean's Eleven of, of every, of all the people in King's Landing to, to poison the king. Yeah. Well, the way that, 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 uh, Cregan puts it later is like pretty much everyone, like, it's like everyone who, either knew was involved or knew about it and like if you didn't you had to be like yeah. basically an idiot just like from yeah. from the way it's exposed yeah. it's, like, it's like pretty much the only person who wasn't involved is grand maester munkin and that's because he's in prison yeah and obviously Aegon, but yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's, it's like, really funny yeah just like it's like wow like Aegon, do you you really well, that would be a show. good that would be a good adaptation of a short film, an ocean, like a heist movie of the poisoning <laughs> of Aegon the Second. I'd watch that. Okay. 
Right, yeah, I mean, we're talking good, good heist, a heist flick of that, just a short film, like a short, like I said, a short film. I mean, it's pretty easy though. It's just like it's just like he drinks all the time, just poison his wine. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it would be a heist thing, so you, you got to do some slick stuff to it as well. But yeah, yeah, but it's it's funny that uh, you know these. So it's Rhaenyra goes to the one place where she feels safe and dies, and. Aegon goes to the one place where he feels comfort, which is drink, and dies. Yeah. So it's it's. I mean, again, you know, there is a little bit of a dichotomy. You, you see that also. Like I said, the biggest theme that we you saw is that Rhaenyra refused to offer pardons, and it came back to bite her. And Aegon refused to offer pardons, and it came back to bite him. So you can kind of see this dichotomy. Yeah. Within the Dance of the Dragons, and I Absolutely. think really, I mean. Like when we get back to it, when I for my final thing, I'll give you my mission statement of the Dance of the Dragons. But uh, okay. are we actually at a good spot? Are we actually at a good spot right here? I, yeah, um, yeah. I guess we could talk tomorrow about the consolidation via the Hour of the Wolf um, next session. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely think that because I think that's really this Dance of the Dragons ends. I mean, yes, I know the the last dragon actually dies. What you know, eight years into Aegon's reign or something like yeah. that. But really, the dragons are dead now. Yes. And and, and, well, know, and after all this, now now a, a traumatized ten year old is theoretically the king of Westeros. Yeah. And I mean, and I can think I think that's good because we we leave the realm in ashes, but we say, and this is what's here to save us, and come back later to see if Aegon saves the realm. And of course, and I will say, people who know, as a bit of a preview for my own thoughts i think we're gonna start talking about one of the most misunderstood and and kind of wrong-minded legacies ever for a king in Aegon the third oh absolutely i'm uh so my mission statement my, my idea with the dragon the dance of the dragons if you've ever read uh, george's conception of the first world war where he says, you know, was it worth it for the generation of young men to, you know, to take out the Austro-Hungarian Empire? Because, I mean, George mentions that he would have fought in World War II because he felt that yes. the Nazis were a, huge, I mean, a menace, and justifiably so. The Nazis yes. were a menace and a stain on, on humanity's collective soul. Um, Nazis, Japanese but, you know, Empire, just, yes, they were. They oh, were yeah, no, bad, bad business. Bad, like, horrif- horrific, soul-wrenching, if you ever yes. see any of the pictures. Um, but then he says, you know, or, you know, the Vietnam War or the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire and stuff like that. And he, see, he says these things. And I think that's what you actually see is his vision of war in the Dance of the Dragons is where you see these actually decent people dying for absolutely terrible rulers. And that's where you get these Adam Valerians and these Prince Daron the Darings. You have these great, you know, noble people and all they're doing is throwing themselves into the pyre to prop up these two madmen, you know, these two tyrants. And it's really, that's really a tragedy is when good people, you know, good people die of bad causes. I mean, I know Varys says that to Kevin and you can debate, you know, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, don't think Kevin's a very good man in service to a bad cause. I mean, he's, he's come. Still there? Jim? Jim? Uh oh. Jim? Jim? Oh. Well, um, 
sorry we have to cut off at that point. Uh, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful episode. Tune in next week. We are going to dis- Jim, are you back? Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, you, you disconnected. Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I didn't disconnect because I could still hear you just fine, but you couldn't hear me. So it looks like the sound just cut out on my end. Things oh, in you're... place. I mean, it looks like everything's still in place now. I made sure my mic is securely in the USB just to make sure. But okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so my, my mission statement is, yeah. It's people, good people dying in the service of bad causes. These Darren the Darings, these Adam Valerians, these are good people dying for tyrants. And that's really the tragedy of the Dance of the Dragons is not necessarily, you know, I mean, if, if the Blackfire Rebellion is two, two relatively decent people with different ideas of ruling that couldn't come to a compromise, these are two terrible people that have good people throwing themselves in the fire. That's a great thesis statement. My final thing, and to kind of sum up this episode, is that we're, we've been talking about basically this, uh, the downfall of this great house, of this, and just this consolidation of power and the, and building up and letting a faction form just leads to, inept, like, and, and faction in terms of a political party's kind of factionalism is fine and necessary in a society. But a faction in this kind of militaristic society and building up these two kind of, well, one type A personality, two type A personalities in in Alicent and Rhaenyra, and just leading to this horrific, bloody consequence of that this is the first truly great, horrendous war that damns everyone, and that, that... one of the great things that Martin does is writes about how in these moments of testing in the War of the Five Kings, what kind of people are we really in this moment where we reveal ourselves? And people just slide and lose themselves and become monsters by the end. That by the end, I feel pity for Rhaenyra, but Rhaenyra just what what she had done and Aegon too of, of just like that he became such an even worse person than what he was before and just amazing that all this power that they could the Targaryens could so shoot themselves that they could burn themselves that they could so self-destruct and leave such a ruin on Westeros that's something that happens in history and that's what Martin I think is trying to talk about of this, just this amazing idea of the, of the idea of war and what really, like, I mean, even when there was like seemingly justifiable causes in the end, I, I don't know. And we'll, we'll get to that again with the Roberts rebellion and with the Blackfire rebellions of just like, yeah, there was a seemingly, it made sense on paper at one point, but just the cost, I can't believe in this cost. And like we died for, Maybe nothing. So that was a on those on those on this yeah on those happy notes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the dance of the dragons. There's no way the dance of the dragons yeah. ends positively. No, it ends happily for no one. <laughs> so, with all that in mind, uh, thank you so much for coming to listen to us on this wonderful extended podcast. Next week we are going to talk about the era that's 
made me want to do this podcast series. We're going to talk about the beginning of a man that was known as the Broken King and the era all before the of the Targaryens trying to find themselves without dragons. And what the monarchy will define itself as in the future, now that it no longer has its most defining feature. Yeah. All right. See you then. Bye-bye. Have a good one.